So, uh, welcome to uh, the podcast, wherever you are. If you're uh, on the way to work, if you're uh, on the bus or cycling. Normally I'm in the car when I listen to the podcasts. Where, where you, you're... Uh, I'm normally like, you know, in the gym, yeah. work, you know, <laughs> working up a sweat. No, um, I, I, I prefer to listen to them at, at night generally. Which that, like, just saying that there makes me sound like a fucking Batman or something. But uh, I imagine he listens to podcasts when he's yeah. out cleaning the streets I of think, crime. Uh, I think Batman listens to Second Captains. Does he listen to Second Captains? Yeah, that's, I think so. that's a good podcast. Yeah, sure. he's been on as a guest a few times. He has, so. yeah. He's, he, he's a big Liverpool fan, which we're, we're, not, we're not thrilled about. But uh, no, I, mean, I, I generally like, I, mean, I find uh, transport is, is a good place for, for podcasts. Yeah, I yeah, to, yeah. yeah. On the yeah, bus. I can't do it if I if I have to concentrate, which I think is probably obvious enough, and no, nobody can. Um, or if I'm just sitting at home, I'd I don't know. I just wouldn't put on a podcast and just sit there. I'd put on music or something. Right. I have to be moving. I think for a podcast. Yeah. If I'm reading or writing something, I find that I don't want to hear a discourse. No. <laughs> yeah. Because um, yeah, I find that I'm just not listening to it then. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. better like if you have nothing else to do. And it, you know, obviously we live in a culture where we're fucking glued to our phones and our little screens, and I'm as guilty as that as anybody. But yeah, it's nice like, every now and then to just like sit back and you know throw some. I, I find that I almost can't listen to them unless it's through headphones or earphones. Yeah. Don't like it on big speakers. Well. No, I've never have listened to anything except for true headphones. Really? Like podcasts, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Only. Anything. No, sorry, yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah. Tell me uh, tell me about your tattoo. I, I saw this for the first time the other day. Um, um, well, you know, uh, this will be great for the listeners who can't see my tattoo. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> describe it nicely. I, I mean, I'll say it's 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 covering your entire left arm. That's correct. It's red and black. It is. And it's got some words. What's that? Non sum qualis iram? Yeah, that's a Latin phrase. It means uh, I'm not what I once was. Okay, um, what does that mean? It's from a book, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, and now I sound incredibly pretentious. Uh, like as I, well, you've got a bit of a pretension, so it's all right. Joy. A little, little smudge of one. Let's let's talk about that. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> uh, well, 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 let's get to that. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Tattoo basically is a, it's a sleeve. Um, it's a composite of my favorite book, which is House of Leaves by Mark Z. Danilevsky. I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong. Right. I recommend everybody give it a read. And it's a composite of one of my favorite records, and uh, 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 which is uh, Jane Doe by a band called converge or converge as i'm sure it's properly pronounced they're a hardcore band uh and it's yeah i mean i guess it all kind of tied in together um it's red and black because i started with red and black and therefore i kind of had to keep that all the way down mm. and it kind of looks like that buena vista, uh, buena vista style but i mean like that's what the tattoo artist w- would keep saying to me and i'm like yeah cool <laughs> you know what you're doing and it's kind of as you can see like it's a bit kind of like there are parts which pop and parts which are kind of like you know a bit mental and i mean it's meant to look like kind of graffiti on a wall, and I guess whenever I talk about it, uh, usually as awkwardly as I'm doing so now, yeah. <laughs> I always just throw out the word abstract. It's abstract. Oh, you know, right. like, like, like it's fine. It's ramshackle. You know, almost. You know, uh, but I uh, know it's. Um, yeah, I'm very happy with it. I, 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 I it took a long time. Um, yeah. But but it, but, it, but it's. Uh, yeah, it's it's good. But I'm I, glad you've said all that now because that means I don't have to uh, explain my pretension. No, you do. <laughs> you, you absolutely. Uh, it, look, it's all in fun. I'm the no, I know. I was. I was. I was thinking about it while I said it there and I really have nothing to back it up with oh come uh, on come on this I'm, is you, I'm, I'm sitting on a fence this is you backing down I'm not going to have that <laughs> I actually don't I, I, I mean uh, no I don't I think you're firm in your opinions but Alan that doesn't Alan is reaching his hand across the table please forgive me <laughs> it's an olive branch uh, yeah I'm no firm. I don't have anything to back it up with in, in fairness I am firm in my opinions but I think yeah. you know, like I'm, but that's, I'm, that's right that's the way it should be, be. Yeah, if yeah. you're a writer or, or like yeah. Yeah, music editor on headstuff.org and I I think you just said that because you really think I didn't say I it I really think that you didn't say it uh, in, <laughs> I did say it uh, well everyone well, everyone, everyone knows, will know who's right at the end of this um, yeah I'm definitely firm in my opinions but I don't I, I've never understood the argument that like 
okay, have you ever been like out with some people or whatever, and you're chatting away, and maybe you're being a little bit pretentious, and maybe I'm being a lot pretentious, but uh, <laughs> and someone inevitably will go, oh, tell us how you really feel. Yeah. Fuck off. Yeah. You know, like it's just like I'm sorry. Like I mean, like not to say mental, but like we're all gonna fucking die someday. You might as well leave a conversation or two behind. That's a I, conversation we haven't had before. I just so. want mortality. Yeah, I don't know. if We should be talking about. No, that. we're not gonna end mortality. <laughs> no, we're, we're all gonna live forever now. I um, feel like we're all gonna live forever. I feel so. like we're all gonna live forever. But I, mean, I think as regards, yeah, I mean, like ultimately, I don't agree with, um, and I'm not, I'm not like the guy who sits in the corner and chats to people. I no. was that guy maybe right. ten years ago when I used to work in Extravision and you know gave out oh, to yeah. customers. How was that? Was that a good job? I loved it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like it, I was always jealous of the people who worked in Extravision when I was younger. So was I. Yeah. It was something I always wanted to do because I was obsessed, and I still am quite into cinema and film. And I, I remember being like, I want that job. I want that job someday. And mm-hmm. I tried to get one in different video stores, and I eventually did get one. And I loved it. Like I mean, like obviously by the end of any job and any kind of retail job as well, you do kind of get burned out a bit. But yeah. I I loved it, man. It was I mean like, even like I just loved being being part of it. And like you know like a new film would come in and even like putting the boxes together and stuff. And even if it was a fucking crap movie, it wouldn't matter. It was something I was really really passionate about and wanted to be involved in. And uh, yeah, but it's 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 weird because like, I mean like obviously now video stores are almost gone um, yeah. because of Netflix and everything yeah. like that and downloading and. So, so you walk into a video store now and there's no atmosphere. We actually had a bit of an atmosphere, like people would play good music and yeah, kind yeah. Of, you know, tried to have a bit of crack. So oh, that was great. That was like a really great part for Friday night was going to the video store and mm. spending a half an hour looking at what are you gonna rent? Yeah, man, yeah. And, and then like, trying to decide should we get a new one or should we get three old ones? Uh, yeah, you know? now, now it's like, you know, two hours on Netflix going, I don't know what to pick. Yeah. Because you know, your brain just can't handle it. But yeah. uh, the three old ones thing was always good. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, but like three for a fiver or whatever yeah, it was. And, was and it was for three nights as well. Yeah, I think it can still be done. I, I, yeah. I haven't actually rented a film in probably about mm. five or six years. No, nor um, have I. And I probably have, I don't know, a hundred DVDs at home. Yeah, man. And I have not watched any of them. Yeah, me yeah. too. Uh, like back in the so day it was like, like they'd come out and like full whack twenty five euro for a new DVD and that's yeah. Yeah, this is a sound investment. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out it wasn't. Turns out it wasn't, I know. Uh, oh, we've all been there. It's the same, I suppose, at music, or do you still buy CDs? I still buy CDs, yeah. Do you? Um, like, like, not as much as I used to, because... Do you put yeah. them in your Discman when you're walking <laughs> No, actually, I do have a Discman somewhere. Yeah? And I have a mini-disc somewhere. Oh, right. Yeah, that did not take I, off. I rocked the mini-disc. <laughs> uh, fucking hell. And I, and I had a mini-disc that, like, broke constantly, and, yeah, even trying to put a song onto that thing was an absolute nightmare. But... Yeah. I also had a mini-disc, but I don't remember ever, ever rocking it. That's yeah. such... You never rocked it, no? I, well, I remember having it. There's a big distinction between having it yes, and yeah. rocking it. Yes, yeah. I think it. I was a haver. Yeah. Oh, I, was, well, I was a rocker. Okay. Uh, so, fucking <laughs> my Lincoln Park hoodie. Back in, I actually had a fucking Lincoln Park hoodie. Wow. Uh, not afraid to say it. See, like, yeah. you know, for all my wild opinions, yeah. you know, I, I give a bit back here. Here's See, some, that, that's, my, that's my... Just right there, when we're talking about tattoos, that's why I don't have any tattoos. Yes. Because if you got one then, yeah. you'd be covered in Lincoln Park right now. Very, very possible. Yeah. And, I was, and I was very, very primed to get a Rage Against the Machine tattoo back yeah. in like 2004. And I still think it would actually make for a great tattoo, like the cover of the Battle of Los Angeles. To yeah. Sketch yeah, 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 yeah. And maybe someday, who knows? I mean, I do. But they've stayed cool. They have. Lincoln Park. Have not. Not so much. <laughs> no. <laughs> they weren't even cool then. No. So. Uh, but they were a bit of a, I mean, like, like they were a bit of a breakthrough. Man. I, I was definitely a new metal kid. Like I was. Yeah, yeah. And, you know. I'm not ashamed to say that, like, because someone will always go, hey, what, what, what album, what band did it for you, got you into properly loving music? Yeah. And it wasn't, you know, the supposed classics for me. It was Limp Bizkit, it was Korn, it was Linkin Park. These, these are the bands. Mine are a bit cooler than yours. I'm sure they are, yeah. <laughs> but see, like, I, I, I went from just listening to the radio to caring about bands through them. And, like, that's why I, you know, even though they've gone to, to shite and, like, even you listen back to them and there's some bad, bad, bad stuff there yeah, yeah. from the era that you once thought was great. 
I can never completely dismiss them because yeah. without them, well, I, that's the whole point yeah. of the series on on Hitsup, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, oh, the, the Sonic Doom. Sonic Doom. Yeah, I just couldn't uh, remember. The Sonic Doom, which uh, Connor Dunne uh, is spearheading at the moment, and he's done. It, it's yeah, because I mean, I think it's very easy to you know approach that from like let's just be really really nasty and mean. Yeah. And I think there is times to be nasty. Absolutely. And mean. Like, I mean, there's a great piece on the website at the moment by uh, Albie Carraher, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About kind of you know this is why it's important to have bad reviews. Yeah. Pussyfooting around. Uh, oh no, that was the, that was the uh, feminism, feminism one. Yeah. What was it? Uh, it's throwing cats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People or something. Yeah, 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 it's a really, really good piece. Yeah, but, um, yeah. but I mean, like Connor's uh, taking the attitude of you know, like he hasn't walked in there with an agenda because these are bands he used to like. As yeah, well, so he's done stuff on like Nickelback. So just so the audience knows, we've done we've done Nickelback, um, Papa, Roach, Papa Roach, Limp Bizkit. Um, yeah. Kaiser Chiefs. Yes, I believe they are the yes. four. Yeah. there'll be more to come. Yeah. But um, and it's 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 but like it, it's not restricted to new metal. New metal. I intend to branch that series out into pop music as well. Because I, I, I what's Kaiser your, Chiefs could hardly be not new, new metal. metal. <laughs> no. Um, what's your take on pop music? Um, I, it's overplayed. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I think there are great songs in pop music. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are great musicians in pop music. Yeah. But I don't think we always hear the good ones. I think we true. hear a lot of the really, really bad ones. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that have to be considered pop, but they're really proper musicians. Like Yeah, well, I, w- I would consider Blondie to be pop, but I would also consider Blondie to, be, to have a few punk songs here and there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, 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 I'm not big into categorizing myself. I, I think, you know, what you're kind of referring to there is chart music. And I, I think chart music and pop music are almost at war with each other. And I think yeah. that it's very rare that, like, something which is hardcore pushed and marketed and always on the radio and always on the TV and always in the ads and has Beats products bandied about their video like yeah, Jessie yeah. J for example Yeah, very very rare that you're going to hear a really good song by Jessie J I'm not saying she's not capable of it she actually yeah. wrote Party in the USA which is that Miley Cyrus song from a good few years ago which okay. I, I think it's a fucking great pop song Okay, she's very capable but instead it's this you know? I don't know the Jessie J songs I'm sorry to say they're rubbish okay. <laughs> so, I don't even know them That's uh, I don't know what that means you don't know Price Tide no. oh yes I do know Price Tide okay I do know the Jessie J songs uh, Domino is good I'll say this Domino is good it sounds exactly like uh, I think it's Firework by Katy Perry okay but it's better I know Firework I don't, know Dom- I don't think I know Domino Domino's good man okay I, I look I, up Domino I have danced to Domino <laughs> on a night out and I will do so again yeah I, I, you know, I think you can kind of find your way dancing to nearly anything yeah when you're hammered except right? for hardcore dance music which I find kind of ironic I can't do I just don't know what to do to it. Do you mean like like boom boom boom? Oh, really? Like, like thick. Yeah, yeah, I just I I don't know what to do. Really? Yeah. Do you just stand there and yeah and panic? I I go onto Google and say what do I do right now? <laughs> well, what does Google say? Uh, Google just tells me to go home to bed. Okay. Yeah. That's a sound strategy. Yeah, that's generally yeah. what what's I do. What's the What's the best? Actually, what's the worst gig you've ever been to? Gig. Yeah. Um. Like of, I suppose I've been to obviously shit bands. Like you know, everybody has been, but of bands that you expect to be good, mm. I think the shittest I've ever been to is Smashing Pumpkins. Which was that two thousand eight in uh, in the RDS? Yeah, yeah, I was. Man, that's awful. all. That's my answer. Is it? Yeah, <laughs> that was, was the shit. It was horrendous. Yeah, I, hated I it. fucking love Smashing Pumpkins yeah. growing up. Uh, like, yeah. like once I got past my you know my Limp Bizkit phase, <laughs> I. Jimmy Chamberlain, I think, is one of the greatest drummers of all time. He's the reason I picked up a fucking set of sticks, and I'm never going to be as good as him. He's Dave's a drummer. I'm a drummer, hello. Um, <laughs> and he is amazing, and they have done some incredible stuff, and like they've written some amazing, amazing songs. Absolutely. And this was my first ever chance to see them live, so yeah. it was 2008. We got up, we got into the pit, because we were there early, and I was like, this is going to be the best night of my life. This is just <laughs> going to be unbelievable. And, man, it was a 
miserable affair. It, it was a drag. That's how I two and a half hours. Yeah. Of what felt like a band just jamming. Yeah. And I mean, he didn't introduce anyone from his from from the band. And like then there was he was constantly playing songs like either too fast, too slow because he resents playing the hits. And I understand that, but like that's why people paid their fucking money. Yeah. But I mean, I remember like at one point he went, I remember on the way in I saw a friend of mine and I was like, oh hey man, I'm in the pit. Where are you? And he was like, oh I'm way back. And I was like, ah see you later, sucker. <laughs> so. Um, I remember he went on this mad speech, uh, Billy Corgan, not my friend, um, <laughs> and he basically started going, he, he was like, yeah, he's like, you know, I'm Corgan, it's Irish, and I'm looking for an Irish wife, and oh, you know, we crawled out of the fucking 90s, no Pro Tools up here, I was like, what's he even doing? <laughs> and everyone was just kind of looking at each other, like, what are you doing, mate? Because he'd just been jamming all these like songs for like eight minutes, like at a time, Yeah. and I texted my friend. And I said, can you fucking believe this? And he wrote back and went, believe what? I went home half an hour ago. And I was like, yeah, you win. Yeah. It was horrendous. And it's a terrible shame because I, I, I've got a soft spot for Billy Corgan, or sorry, William Corgan. I believe he's renamed himself now. It was, is it, it not as, as one? Is it not one now? It, it could be anything. I, 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 but he's a, I, I think he's an interesting character. I think that there are times when he really gets it right. The last album was not bad at all. I um, have not listened to it. It's fine. Right. But like ultimately, I, I believe that he should just stop trading under that name. But if he yeah. stops trading under that name, he sells less tickets. How so. many original members were in? No. Just him? Just it? him. Right. Like Tommy yeah. Lee came in and did the drums for the most recent album. Um, Tommy Lee. Of um, Pamela Anderson's oh sex my God. tape. I didn't want to suggest that. And but... uh, Motley Crue. <laughs> oh, okay. I d yeah, I suppose I knew he was in Motley Crue. But... Uh, and is, is he a drummer to look up to? Uh, I'm not into Motley Crue. Uh, I'm not into... I'm not mad into metal or glam rock, rather. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, like he's a very good drummer. Like, right. He's a, and on this album, like he's not at all. You know, I, I I thought he'd be going hell for leather, but the songs are actually a lot more considered, and right. a lot of the drums are just quite, you know, soft. In it, I guess by comparison, and right. they're quite good. Yeah. Okay, it's a good album. Like it's three out of five. Right. But yeah. which you know, if Billy Corgan hears this, he'll go mental because <laughs> he didn't. I uh, think he did an interview with the Guardian a while ago. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. And he was like. Yeah. These fucking reviews, like you know, people saying three out of five, it's bullshit. You're all liars. Everyone yeah. tells me this is brilliant. This is yeah. a five out of five album. It's not. Yeah. I'm sorry, so Billy. I remember he said that. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. Sorry, Bill. Sorry, Bill. Um, Bill, he actually emails us after each podcast. Oh, he does. Yeah. yeah. He'll be delighted to get a mention. Yeah, he'll yeah. be really happy. Keep up the good work. <laughs> um. So okay, so you say that's your least favorite band. Actually, you know what? Well, I, least favorite gig. No, sorry, that's yeah. what I meant. Yeah. Um. I actually heard. Uh, Neve Farrell from Ham Sandwich on the radio last night, oh. and they, they asked her that question, and she said the same thing. Did she? Yeah. Wow. She left early as well. Fuck. Yeah. I was there till the bitter end. Yeah. And then we got, so was I. Then yeah. we got lost uh, driving home. We, got, like, we ended up up in, up in Menton, and I was like, yeah, yeah. This, this is appropriate. I used to get lost driving home in Dublin a lot, so I could have on that night. Yeah. Um, yeah. That that did not stay long in my memory, except for of annoyance and. Yeah. Any other gigs stand out as being really, really, really bad or yeah, really good? Like, well, disappointing. Um, good, good question. Um, I last time I saw Muse, I thought they were only okay. Um, and when did I last see Muse? I saw them a couple of times, but they were. I used to be a lot more into them than I am now, though. Yeah, and I think they've gotten progressively worse as a band. Yeah. Um, progressively I, I bigger and spacier and more yeah. arena -y and less good. Big time, yeah. And I mean, I, like I'm all into ambition, but I just think that they've gone, uh, you know, like they've just gone so far up their own arse that it's absolutely ridiculous like I mean it's just you know so they were best around Origin Cemetery yeah man yeah. Um, I mean the first time I ever heard Muse was I heard Plug and Baby on yeah. Kerrang TV yeah. <laughs> and I was like this is incredible yeah. I was like, well I didn't know a guitar could do that because again you know I was a fucking wide eyed like teenager who thought new metal was the was the music to listen to yeah, um, yeah. so yeah no I, I, I guess I've kind mm -hmm. of been lucky with gigs I mean I've seen a lot and 
yeah, like the Smash Pumpkins one has never been replaced. That was two thousand eight, and that, and since then there's been nothing anywhere near that level. And again, mm-hmm. a lot of that was just crushing disappointment. They like you know they were bad, but they weren't train wreck bad. Yeah, it was more like this is a fucking self indulgent. Yeah, 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 too yeah. self indulgent. It was. Yeah. Uh, we were t- we were talking about Kanye West off mic. We were. Um, we often we, do. We are. <laughs> we often do. Uh, we have pretty much the same feeling about Kanye West. I think. Yeah. Uh, Best musician ever? Yeah, that's what we all think. I think. Where, 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 where do you stand? We didn't really talk about him as a as a personality. Yeah. So where do you where do you stand on 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 the Kanye West enigma? Let's call it. Uh, <laughs> Even though it's uh, the least thing I, I, he I, I, is. I, I thought you were going to go with spectrum there, but uh, yeah, I was going to go with uh, no. I'm going with enigma. Enigma works. He's the least thing he really is. I think he's amazing. Uh, I, some people I know have kind of posited a theory that he might be genuinely mentally ill and you know yeah. he just happens to be really successful as well and we're all kind of fearing the day when we wake up and the headline is not something wacky and is in fact something incredibly dark but you know my friends are cynical so yeah I've wrong. got a different theory that, yeah. that it's it's basically all a character and right. he's so, doing it on purpose and he knows exactly what he's doing okay and if you, I think if you look at each album you know one after the other he gets progressively more Kanye West Sure. On each album. Yeah, sure. His new one was called, like, you know, So Help Me God, and obviously the last one had is not called I Am a God. So yeah. And it was called, called Jesus, Jesus, which is, yeah, yeah playing, yeah. So, um, so yeah, I think he's, he, I think he's playing the game. Yeah. Like no rock star has done in the last, I don't know. He's playing know, it amazingly years. well because everyone has an opinion. People who haven't heard yeah. his music have an opinion. And it's also the thing where, like, he did that interview with Zane Lowe a couple of years ago. He's done one since, which isn't as good, but it's still worth checking out. And he, like, you know, in this interview with Zane Lowe, the original one, he basically was saying that. You know, people want rock stars. They complain that there are no rock stars, that there's no one larger than life out there. That you know, it, it was there's no Kirk Cobain's anymore. There's no yeah. there's no one who transcends it yeah. and steps off the the plane to become that person. And he goes, then I come along and I'm that guy. And people say, fuck you, we don't yeah. want you. Yeah. Now, granted, the people listen to this who go, no, Dave, you're wrong. He absolutely is not that guy, and he shouldn't be compared to people like Kirk Cobain. But uh, who else is there? Who else has had such an impact? Both when you like when you actually sit down and listen to him musically, because a lot of people who don't like Kanye West haven't heard him. Yeah, oh, that's definitely true. Won't listen to yeah. him because yeah. they just go, "That's not for me." And like, it took me a while, you know. It took me, yeah. I didn't get into him until the Dark Twisted Fantasy. Yeah. I didn't get into him properly until Jesus. Yeah, and I don't think everything he's done is amazing. No, but he's done some amazing stuff. Absolutely, and you know, and he pushes the boat more than anybody else. He does, really. yeah, and like he is a bit of a dickhead like he is a bit of a prick he's or he's good at characters <laughs> yeah or, 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 or he's like an incredible wrestling heel um, but he's or he, he's definitely you know cocky and arrogant and, yeah but like i i wonder like how much of what he does is spontaneous. i mean the, the beck thing i thought it was quite funny and i think people who yeah. you know took it too seriously are taking it too seriously for example i mean like and, and as regards like that asshole who fucking started a petition to have him not play glastonbury i mean like oh yeah were we not already through this with, with jay-z, Jay-Z yeah. and with beyonce i mean like i like glastonbury like I, like I mean, as I kind of said on Twitter, I was like, you know, I'm sure fucking Tarquin and Sophie can go to Shangri La while Kanye West is on and find something to do. It's a massive <laughs> festival, but I mean, this notion that Glastonbury is this precious fucking like I've never been. It's but, a I guitar mean, music like, festival. Fuck that! Like, but it's but, not even. There's loads of other stuff. But like that's so like it's the, the Kanye West petition to me borders on racism because you're saying like you know this guy and his style of music and his whatever is not right for our festival you know like in, yeah. in where and, and like the fact that Emily Evis had to come out and issue a statement going hey everyone you know calm the fuck down that's ridiculous that like, like yeah. you might think you might think Kanye West is a prick you might think he makes terrible terrible music 
if you're going to Glastonbury, go and see someone else for the hour. Like, yeah, you know, like you're there's not loads of people I don't want to go see. In yeah, but like, you couldn't possibly see everybody anyway. But yeah. I think overall, as a character, he's very, very divisive. He's very, very polarizing. He gets everyone talking. I don't agree with everything that he says. I don't. Of course not. I don't think that he's. Fucking, I don't think he agrees with everything he says. I don't think he. Yeah, he contradicts himself. <laughs> yeah. right? I don't think he's infallible. I don't think his music is infallible. I do, however, think that we need more people like him out there. And yeah, I think yeah. he's very. I think he's interesting. And I think you know he's he he is part of the conversation and he's interesting. However, I am very worried about that new album. I'm not sure it's going to be great based on what I've heard so far. Yeah. Um. There's theories that you know he's happy now and therefore he's just going to do a John Lennon and just make gushing saccharine music for a while, which could be the case. Yeah. But I'm holding out hope for the record. I think I think that there's always potential there. And, but you know, it's, I I that song was the that's the one he did in SNL. Yeah. I love that. That's cool. Uh, yeah. So if the album is like that, apparently that'll be the opening track. And if it is the opening track, I can see it building a good atmosphere. But then, how do you tie in the rest of it? You know, like yeah. Kind of the you know only one, which I do like as a song, but it's also you know I don't know. Does it? But you know, I'll reserve judgment until they hear it. But yeah, it to, yeah. But in terms of hip hop, though, he's following a hell of an album in Kendrick Lamar's last album. Have you heard of that? Yeah. Well, I've read the review and hits it. Yes, <laughs> uh, there's an excellent review on the website, which I encourage anyone to go and, and and read. And if you haven't heard the album, check it out. It's exhausting but it's it feels like a very important record yeah it does I, I did listen to it actually the review was so good that uh, I was actually just going through it you know as an editor mm. see if there's any mistakes and even doing that I was like I have to take out Spotify and have a listen to this yeah man no, and I did and I've listened to it about three times since yeah well um, that's you know I, I, that's kind of the, the mark of a good review um, and it is a great album it's yeah. it, like when I say it's exhausting I don't mean like I'm like oh Jesus but it, it's it's long and yeah. it feels very heavy yeah and but it's an album that also manages to have a conversation with Tupac at the end of it and yet yeah, somehow yeah. that works like, yeah, like, yeah like when I listened to it I was like is that Oh, okay. What's he doing here? Oh, wow. And I was like, and this isn't ridiculous. Wow. Yeah, he's pulling it off somehow. Yeah, it's. I mean, like, even like, you might even argue that's overrated in terms of. I think it has like a nine point seven on like any decent music or something. Like yeah, but it needs a bit more time, you know. When things come out new. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, What's I, the name of the writer? It's Josh, was it? Uh, Joshua Hughes wrote that yeah, review. Really, really good. It's it's. Uh, he then followed it up with a review of Hollywood Undead's album. <laughs> I love that review. Not as good. <laughs> not as good as the Kendrick Lamar album, I have to say. The review is as good though. The review is as good. <laughs> Yeah, but the album itself, uh, you know, Hollywood Undead, for anyone who doesn't know, real quick, are, as Josh himself says in his open line, they're unintentionally hilarious. Um, they're a masked rap rock crew from LA who all have ridiculous pseudonyms and really white middle class, you know, real names. And I can't imagine that they actually subscribe to what they sing about. But it's, yeah, I think that my favorite line in that review is when Josh says at one point, he goes, um, where the album also falls down, apart from the obvious handicap of having been made by Hollywood Undead. <laughs> yeah, and I, was like, yeah, I was just trying to get onto the website to find that line, yeah, but that's the line that line. So, stood um, out for me too. Yeah, so I think everyone needs to listen to Kanye West, and then listen to Kendrick Lamar's album, and then top it all off with yeah. uh, Day of the Dead by Hollywood Undead. <laughs> you might just start appreciating your Kanye then. You might. <laughs> okay, I think it's, it's time we probably should get into this interview, which people want to hear. Yes. With Olaf. Uh, tell me how you know Olaf, or how you came across him. Uh, well, me and Olaf go back a ways. Yeah, no, um, obviously, you worked in Hot Press. Yeah, I worked, so. I, I, I worked in Hot Press. When I came out of college, I did an internship there, which kind of turned into a job for a while. And Olaf, like, I think the first time, like, I, I, I knew his name. I'd I, I read his stuff. And you knew his, his name. Did you know how to say his name? He, no. <laughs> no, I did not. I, I, I assumed it was like, you know, I, I think I misspelled it numerous times yeah. in various you ways. You can be for that. Yeah, sorry, Olaf. I may very well have butchered your name a few times on, on, on the official Opera's website. Uh, but 
Yeah, like I'd read him, and I, 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 read, I read stuff about him. I think I might have answered the phone to him once, twice, and I was like, you know, who is this shadowy figure? <laughs> you know, lives in Galway, and you know, uh, has been writing for the magazine for quite a while. And like, he's interviewed some of the biggest fucking names that, that they have, like, yeah. that have ever been in the magazine. Yeah. I think the first time I kind of really got to know him, even vaguely properly, was at that year's Electric Picnic. So it would have been like twenty eleven, and that was my first ever time work, being at a picnic and uh, working at a festival. And my job for that weekend was to go around with an iPad and basically capture things for the website. And it was kind of like, you know, very nondescript. It was like, here you go, here's an iPad, go do. And occasionally I, I sat in on an interview with DJ Shadow and Selena Murphy, who used to work for the magazine, which was pretty cool. DJ Shadow's an intense man uh, to be sitting in a bus right yeah. next to you with an iPad in his face. Um, so that was good. But then for every DJ Shadow interview where you're kind of half scared, um, there's also like, okay, what the fuck am I going to do now? Like, I don't really have things set up and it's a festival. It's all very, you know, go, go, go. So Olaf had just done an interview with somebody and I was like, okay, look, screw it. I'll just grab Olaf for a second because, you know, he's a vague, you know, celebrity in his own right. So let's talk to him. So I said, hey, man, you know, don't, don't really know you. Do you mind just doing a quick uh, interview for the website? And he's like, yeah, no problem. Um, as, you, as you saw when we talked to him, he's a very affable, easy yeah, guy. Yeah, great. Yeah, and he was wearing all black. Yeah, like Johnny Cash. Um, he's wearing uh, sunglasses. I mean, it was sunny, to be fair to him. He was, yeah. Um, he, he looked. Uh, he had his slick back hair, and he was uh, lighting a cigarette at the time. So you know, he looked like a fucking badass. Yeah. You know, if I'm honest. So, I just got the iPad, did a quick interview with him, just about the interview he'd done about his own kind of poetry readings and that kind of thing, and then wrapped it up. But of course, like when you go to upload it, YouTube will always give you this thumbnail where it's like, okay, you know, a, a default image preview for you you know you can change it no problem but the first thing that came up when i did this and i showed this like in front of a friend was it was olaf like slicking his hair back with one hand cigarette in that hand i think you know shades on sunbeam mm -hmm. them all black he looked like a fucking contract killer you know <laughs> like he just looked class i was like yeah and i was like because like, i think olaf you know like would consider himself um and kind of an outlaw journalist you yeah because yeah. he's, he's got the writer at large type, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, for, yeah for hot press and he looked like a fucking outlaw yeah. in the sunshine. And, I, and he looked like a guy with a story to tell. And as you'll hear in this interview, he does have a lot of stories to tell. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, yeah, thanks for doing it, Olaf, because it, it, it's a really, really good interview. And he's yeah. a, he's a, he's a talker. And luckily, we didn't have to re-record that. So thank uh, God. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sure you would have done it though. Should I introduce him now as a contract killer? Or <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is a erstwhile hitman uh, and occasional writer. Yeah, go, go for it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, got to pronounce his name right though. Okay. <clears throat> pressure on um, the world's favourite contract killer <laughs> the, uh, no, no, the no. Kanye West of journalism <laughs> the Kanye that'll do the Kanye West of journalism uh, welcome to or enjoy sorry the Headstuff Podcast with Olaf Tyronson Welcome on board. Thank you. Where's the snapper board or something? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Action number five, yes. Uh, I'm also uh, here with Dave Hanratty, who's the music editor of headstuff.org. Good afternoon. <laughs> yeah. It's all very formal so far. Yeah, Hopefully okay. we'll loosen yes. up a little bit. <laughs> so we're, we're actually in the international bar here today. Uh, they very nicely, uh, very kindly let us use it for the interview. So thanks to the international bar on Exchequer Street. Wick Wicklow Street. Wicklow Street. Wicklow Street. Or does it, it's on the corner, actually. They're going to pull all support from you. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're done. In Dublin. So let's, uh, let's, let's talk about you. I'll admit straight away that I looked up at your Wikipedia page, and I'm going to take that out in a few minutes because the last couple of podcast interviews, they kind of were like, oh, not the Wikipedia page, everything on that is false. Yeah. So I'm going to take you through it and see what's real. Okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I haven't but, looked at that in... in some time so. yeah yeah so it's probably a lot of nonsense in there so i'm looking forward well to, to yes. bringing that up 
So let's let's start. Your your name is is Norwegian. My name is Norwegian. Yeah, yeah. My my grandfather was Norwegian. Right. Um, but I was born in Dublin, and I'm you know my mother's Irish, my father's English Norwegian, and that's a didgeridoo player or something <laughs> outside. Olaf has brought a didgeridoo player yeah, with that, him. That's my personal sort of uh, <laughs> personal troupe of musicians following everywhere I go. Uh, but no, I was born in born in Dublin, moved to Galway when I was about six, and grew up in Galway. Um, lived in Dublin for years, lived in Leitrim, lived in Galway again, lived in Thailand, and now back in Galway. Nice. But uh, I'm up and down to Dublin, you know. All the time. All the time, yeah. I should I should basically be living in Dublin, but I've got two kids in Galway, so. Okay. And do you prefer the Galway life or the, the big city life? Um, when I say big city, <laughs> <about> Dublin. <laughs> uh, I find life just varies from day to day. Where you, wherever you are, that's, you know, that's where you are in your head. Yeah. I like Galway. It's right by the sea, um, where I'm living. Basically, uh, I'm right on Galway Bay. Okay. It's very good for the head. You so know? are you in the city or outside the city? I'm in Salt Hill. Okay, well, that's nice. Yeah. Cool. So you know, no matter what's going on, go out and look at that bay and go, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you, you do an awful lot of interviews. Uh, yes. Are they mostly face to face? Are they? They vary. Um, I just had a meeting in Hot Press. There's a Dave Grohl interview happening, I think, and. They said he's in Australia, so I didn't have to ask. <laughs> <laughs> so about flying over to Sydney to do the interview. It's like, no, you can do it over the phone. It's like, great. <laughs> yeah, right. um, they just vary. Yeah, yeah. You know, the nature of journalism these days is, uh, I think back, you know, if you read over the old anthologies of the great American journalists or the great American, you know, music stuff particularly, or the celebrity interviews, you, you can have people saying, well, I spent six weeks on tour with this band in order to get this 5,000-word piece or whatever it might be. Uh, it's so different now, and the yeah. reason for the difference is that, say, back in the day, Rolling Stone and Cream might have been the only two American magazines worth you know, worth doing because yeah. everybody read them. Yeah. Whereas now, nowadays, you probably have a core selection of at least 200 big magazines, not to mention the fact that all the broadsheets... Yeah. You know, every newspaper has a music section. Yeah. There's a million podcasts, radio yeah. stations, Sorry. TV. No, yeah. you know. <laughs> but basically, you know, there's so many people getting in on the act yeah. that the, the and everybody's tweeting about it all. The all time. that, yeah. So yeah. the which kind of robs the public to a certain degree because no one's getting the really in depth proper story. Yeah, everybody's getting little snippets. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't do it myself, but a, a colleague of mine flew to New York for Kanye West. You know, and he was told. Yo, your interview will be seven minutes, 45 seconds. Oh. Uh, do you remember this, Dave? Yeah, this, heard yeah, it. yeah, yeah. And, you know, when we got there, West was eating a sandwich. Oh. Now, of course, the, the flip side there is there's a George Byrne, um, a journalistic colleague who's not so well at the moment, but George had a great line years ago. And he said, I wouldn't cross the fucking road to see the Black Velvet Band, but I'd cross the Atlantic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's a bit like that. Sometimes, they, they, you know, you're not doing it so much for the person, you're doing it for the for the, the location, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but just to go back to what I was saying, I mean, it's it's just much harder to get, you know, to get a decent amount of time. Yeah. And I must say as well that when I would read these pieces that, that the likes of Cameron Crowe or whatever else, you know, might have done, and I go, how did that take you eight weeks to get that amount of oh, information, right, yeah, you know? Yeah. Now, of course, it, it's good for the for the, the fact that it's a moving piece that's not just, you know, that it's, it's oh, yeah. in this city, then this city, yeah. then this city. That yeah, can yeah. be quite interesting. Yeah. But I found that, uh, you know, an hour with somebody or an hour and a half with somebody, you can usually, you know, get it out of them. Get in there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and do, a, do a, a lengthy piece. I mean, an average conversation of an hour is 
somewhere between five and seven and a half thousand words. Right, right. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, to yeah. make those words count. Yeah. I suppose that's like what Zane Lowe was trying to do with those interviews. He actually did the Kanye West one, which was, well, it went fairly viral. It was about, it was about, yeah, it was about an hour long. It was kind of broken into like four sections. But yeah, yeah it, was, it was... Obviously helped by Kanye being mad. He's, he's amazing. <laughs> uh, what do you think of Kanye West, Olaf? Uh, not a whole lot, to be honest. I mean, I, I don't know the music that, that well. I mean, it's one of those things, again, that... If I'm told, thanks to the internet, if I'm told I'm interviewing somebody, I mean, give me 24 hours, I'll know everything yeah. about them. Yeah. I won't know the music inside out. Yeah, yeah. But I'll have listened to it. Yeah. And But when I started in journalism, there was no Google, you know? There was barely an internet. Um, so, which meant that my apartment was a fire hazard because I kept every cutting, every piece of... <laughs> so, like, you got an interview with... Because you know, what, what would happen is you get an interview with, with whoever it was, Kylie. Right. And the record company would send you a very thin press release and maybe a couple of good nice pieces written about her yeah. she's a bad example because she's actually quite a nice woman but you know what you want is a whole array of interviews that you can go through to pick up maybe there's some negative stuff as well do you know what I mean not that you want to do a hatchet job on somebody or anything but you want to know a lot more yeah of course yeah. so uh, journalists these days have it easy you know including myself but just when I started out there was you know you really had to have a, a, a good memory and, uh, and a good filing system I suppose right. you know as Dave, as you've you do a lot of interviews as well, um, but I suppose you started with the internet. Yeah, I'm totally spoiled rotten in that regard. <laughs> I mean, like, I actually, it's one of those things where, like, I almost wonder, like, I mean, like, I never have to pick up a phone, like, and that's why the, like, there are times when I don't feel like, you know, like a real journalist because I've never had the, I've never had to run into a phone box and, like, you know, with a press hat on, and, like, you know, ring someone and say, I've got a scoop, hold the front page. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you but, can um, fuck off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Would be the response. You know? <laughs> No, it's 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 almost too easy because you can pull back every interview, like even like an Irish band who might not have done many interviews. If they've done five interviews in the last two years, it's online, it's there, it's handy. Yeah. But then you read those interviews and you're kind of like, okay, I read, I want to cover all ground here at the same time. So it, it's it's I, I I tend to find that what I what I've come to learn what to enjoy is to just kind of wing it, to just have a conversation with somebody. Uh, yes and no. It depends on what kind of interview you know, you need to get. The one problem, as the say the Jonathan Harry episode might have. Uh, demonstrated is that you kind of have to ask questions i mean half the questions i ask of musicians i already know the answer to because i read 10 interviews with them so what was you know what was daniel lanois like to work with as a producer i've already read a bunch of interviews where they've told me exactly and i've also read a profile of daniel lanois when he spoke about it but if i don't get it in my own words i can't be plagiarizing other people's quotes mm-hmm. right do you know what i mean yeah yeah and also you can um you got to get people a little bit comfortable first as well. Mm. Like, for example, I interviewed Florence Welsh a few weeks yeah. ago in, in London, and, there's a, and the album isn't out till May, so that, that won't appear in Hot Press for another month or two. But I went in, it was only her second... Uh, she actually did a Zane Lowe interview, and then she, this was her day of press, but I was the second interview, and she's been off the scene for two years, yeah. you know, off the media scene. And one of the songs on the album was about not contacting an ex... You know, and, and breaking that or whatever. So I went right. in and I opened the interview by going, so you broke the no contact rule. And she looked at me blankly, said, like, what, what do you mean? <laughs> I'm going, well, in that song, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I, next thing I know, I'm explaining the no contact rule to her. She's like looking at me going, who the fuck is this guy? Yeah. <laughs> and it, it really threw the interview off. Right. I only had 25 minutes with her. It wasn't a good start. So sometimes it's not so good to... I thought it could have been a very quirky start to the interview. Yeah. And instead, I kind of lost five minutes. Right, yeah. You know, and that can happen too. You know, mm. uh, it can happen to the best of us. You know, yeah. 
So sorry, go sorry, didn't you interview Alex Turner when he was absolutely hammered? I did. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> on the other end of the phone as well. Uh, oh, yeah, I remember reading that. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was a disaster. But it wasn't a disaster because... Um, but basically, it was a very quick turnaround as well. It was a hot press cover story. Uh, he was just off a flight from New York. Yeah. And he was hammered. Yeah. He was hammered drunk. And I... You know, I, I never, I don't really like doing things over the phone, but that's just part of the reality now as well. It's you know, record companies, uh, you know, don't have the budgets, magazines don't have the budgets just to fly you here, there, and everywhere. And nailing people down to a certain time and place can be quite difficult too. Right. But anyway, I'm on the phone to Alex Turner, and I realise very quickly that uh, he's out of his head, uh, and he's sort of doing that thing of suddenly, you know, going, well, the thing is, I was just, and then he jerked to attention and go and. I'm sober now, you know, <laughs> <laughs> ask me anything, you know, and uh, so I'm going, oh shit, this is, this is a real mess, so I, we, I kind of plowed it on through, I had half an hour with him, and um, he occasionally mumbled incomprehensibly, I could get nothing out of it, you know, I don't know what this man is saying, right. and other times he was quite lucid and coherent, yeah. But it just so happened that their video at the time was all about him getting out of his head. Yeah, that's right. So it just gave me a good way to link it in. I think I opened the interview with Alex Turner is out of his head, you know, right. yeah. carried on, and then you know, used the video as as the intro to the piece, but then was able to insinuate to the readers that, you know, no, he really is out of his head. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. these, these things happen. Yeah, um, no, I remember that being a very interesting read. Um, I, I remember it. I don't know why I remember it so specifically, but I was in a barber shop and I read the, right. Yeah, and it was one of the, the free magazines there and I read the interview. That's how long I was waiting, back in ages. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but that interview stayed with me and I don't I, it must have been it must have been obviously very well done or something. You must have got a, so, enough out of it that I've remembered that one in particular. Well I mean I'm doing an awful lot of stuff and yeah. you don't know what's gonna stay with anybody. Everything you write can have a you know, I'm very conscious of that as well. That you know, I also interview a lot of people who are going nowhere. This will be their first and first, only and last interview. Yeah, you know, that kind of Name thing. Names. Well, no, <laughs> I, you, you, you won't know any of them. Is the yeah, thing. Yeah. Um, but I, I used to manage a band, so right. I. I mean, well, Wikipedia page says that actually. Oh, does it? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's true. Um, <laughs> That's one for the Wikipedia. Page. <laughs> well, well, yes, what up? Uh, and I, I'm just aware of the importance. First off, of what goes into making an album. That you know. I really hate those sort of reviews. The Sunday Times used to do this thing, like the dud of the week. Oh, okay. I don't know if they still do They only it. recently stopped it. Yeah, they should, they should never have been there because what you're doing, you're just pissing from a great height over somebody's you know, blood, sweat and tears yeah. and cash yeah. you know, and all that. I know, what, I know what goes into making an album and I know the hopes that people have for it and nothing worse than somebody you know, just putting the boot in, often after only having one or two listens to it, yeah. or maybe not. Yeah. So I don't know how I got onto that, but yeah, well, a lot of albums are absolute growers, you know. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, actually, uh, Kanye West was like that for me. At the start, I hated him, mm -hmm. um, but somehow I found my way in, and now I think he's great. Same uh, for me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Same for me. Well, no, sometimes you have to hear a song at a specific moment. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Sadly, sometimes that you know that specific moment is an ad on the telly where they've used the song, yeah, and you go, "Oh, is, well, actually, yeah. I really like that," or yeah. a scene in a movie or whatever it might be. But there's no telling, you yeah. know. That's true. You mentioned kind of earlier on being only only getting a certain amount of time in an interview. I was reading through some of your old interviews. I was reading through selected recordings in the Lady Gaga interview, mm. and those in the Saturday Night Show before yeah. in, in, in her dressing room. And there was a kind of a cute line where you were like, "Her two PR assistants uh, declined my polite request to leave on a second occasion," and they were like, "Oh no, we're staying. That's all there is to it." Huh. Uh, I, I I found that I've had a couple of interviews before with PR people in the same room, and it's so 
fucking hard to negotiate. Like you're just like, well, you, you have just to staring at you. And you're like, uh, yeah. Well, that's 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 their role, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, I do always ask them to leave, and ninety percent of the time they don't comply, you right. know. Or else it becomes this thing of oh, you, the whole thing is off to a bad start because you've offended somebody. It's like no, I'm here to have a conversation with this person, and I don't want you here. But funnily enough, uh, Sinn Fein do that all the time now. You know, yeah, yeah. I interviewed Mary Lou MacDonald, and there was some, you know, frizzy-haired freak in a Gansey <laughs> glaring at me. And I said, "Look, would you mind leaving, please? Because I'm doing an interview." And Mary Lou went, "No, no, but you don't mind, do you?" I said, "Well, if I might, you know, if I didn't mind, I wouldn't be asking him to leave." <laughs> but I, that came to a bit of a, you know, confrontation, and eventually he stayed. But at least, I, you know, it got the whole thing off to a bad start. Um. But that's you understand that with with politics and you know, political parties. Yeah, yeah. Um, it happened recently enough as well with Aon uh, uh, Reardon, who's a nice guy actually. He's a, you know just the politician. His assistant was there, and I said, "Do you mind leaving?" He's like, "Well, I usually stay." And I said, "Well, this t- on this occasion, leave." <laughs> but <laughs> you know, he, he put his recorder down on the on the table, and I mean the implication there is that I'm going to misquote yeah. or you know or do something. It's like, yeah. come on. You know, I never misquote people. Um, you know, I never, uh, never use anything other than what I have. Do you think that's something else that maybe back in the day journalists were trusted a bit more? That code, the honor code, was there a bit more, and now it's well, it's 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 very telling that you know journalists could pr- produce notes in a courtroom, as in here's the notes, yeah, here's my yeah. shorthand. That's proof, right? Which I think is complete bollocks because you could just anybody could read any could anyone could do that. You know, but yes, I guess. Like every profession, um, you know, who used to be trusted? Well, the priests, the doctors, the bankers, the lawyers, you know, none of them anymore. I think the journalists are kind of in that zone as well now. Right. Not through the actions of me. Who should we trust then? Is there any... Nobody. Okay. <laughs> well, this is trust nobody. That's, that's the lesson of life. I feel yeah. like we should trust bakers at least. I really like bakers and... They just make such nice smells, and I just feel like they should be trusted. You realise that's all sort of you know, deliberately, industrially created, just yeah. to waft out. Just blowing it out onto the street. So you can well, you know, they say if you're selling your house, just bake some bread before people come and put some coffee yeah. on to give your house that homely smell, you know? <laughs> that was in there, wasn't it? American Beauty, she makes cookies, wasn't it? Before she's Oh, was that it? Was yeah, that it? Okay, so. yes, yes. So you trust nobody. That's yeah, the, uh, definitely. That's well, it. real estate agents, I don't think anyone ever really trust, trusted them. Trust yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So basically, all that what you're saying is you're the stone cold Steve Austin of journalism. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, Steve Austin was that, that, that six million dollar man or something? Different no, one, no, actually. Yes. I was referring to the, uh, the wrestler who I. In fact, was the original Steve Austin a wrestler? The six million dollar man guy? I have no idea. I'm he, out of my depth. Well, he was built like a wrestler. Okay. <laughs> okay. Anyway, add that to the Wikipedia page is what I'm saying. Okay. All of Clarence and Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> right. Link to. Um, if I actually may ask you all off, because um, whenever you do a Hopper's interview, you always start by asking people what their earliest memory is. So if I may ask you what yours is. Um, yes, I have an answer for this because uh, I'm, I was starting a, a, a memoir piece recently and I thought they actually opened with it. Normally in my Hopper's interviews, I ask people what their earliest <laughs> memory is. So here's mine. And my earliest memory is being uh, about two years of age and being in the family home in Hoth, um, or yeah, in Hoth, and my parents were in bed, and I was at the lampshade by the side of the bed, putting my hand up, and my mother told me not to touch the bulb, you know, and I did, and I got burnt, and it, you know, hurt me, and I, so I remember that. So my earliest memory is basically 
you know, ignoring very, very good advice and getting burnt as a result. <laughs> and, uh, and that's carried on through the rest of my life, I think. You know, I'm always ignoring good advice and getting burnt as a result. Okay. And do you have like a, a dotted line of memories like that where you ignore advice and then something bad happens? Um, I've always kind of done my own thing for better or for worse. Okay. Um, I wouldn't, just because somebody tells you something yeah. doesn't necessarily mean you should take their Absolutely. advice. Yeah. But then I was raised, you know, not raised, but I was educated, you know, largely by priests who yeah. were all thick as shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and also by uh, a lot of the teachers in my school were GAA players who were given their reward mm. with teaching jobs. Yeah. So I remember being in school going, like, I'm smarter than these people. Yeah. You know, that sounds, well, it's just the truth. You know, I was going, these guys don't know what the fuck they're talking about. They're just, they're, they're learning this as they're reading it from the textbook yeah. at the same time as we are. Yeah. So I just sort of lost a lot of respect. And it's a good thing not to have that much respect for, you know, let people earn your respect. Yeah. You yeah. Know, not Especially to demand it. Just because it's authority. Yes, it's a bad move. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, <sighs> there's so many examples to draw from. I mean, the, the police. You know, the cops, there was a time when the cops had great respect in this country, and now we know all the, the stuff that's going on. And having said that, I will say kudos to the to the cops who investigated the Grand Dwyer thing, because yeah, that was proper police work. Yeah, well, it's the first good thing that's... You know, there you know, are the good people within everything. Indeed, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I know lots of good journalists, and yeah. I know lots of shits. Yes. You know. Yeah. So, okay, so let's say that you're coming from a time that's where journalism was respected a bit more, and you had to do the work as opposed to looking up the internet. Um, who would you say? Yeah, you used, used to have to actually type your articles, not just cut and paste them. You know, <laughs> what do you mean by that? <laughs> well, you see a lot of that. You know, like yeah, you know, I read, I read interviews that are essentially just press releases. Oh yeah, oh, I see, written, I see that you know? yeah, yeah. Which isn't to say that I don't, you know, purloin the odd line from a press release or a paragraph. You know, if I'm under pressure and I need it, and that's what it's there for. It's a press release. You yeah, know, yeah, it's a release for yeah, the press. But yeah, you do see. But when it masquerades as original thought, yes. that's when it becomes annoying. You know. Yeah, absolutely. But who do, who do you see anyone as maybe some great uh, journalists working nowadays that you see as music journalists that are kind of holding up that light from when things were good? Uh, I'm sorry, say that again? Like any, I, I'm, I'm wording the question really terribly. <laughs> but who maybe would you admire as a journalist working today, that, a music journalist that's still kind of doing it the proper way and still putting out really good articles? And Well, with every journalist, I mean... Not with everyone. There's a certain certain core group of journalists that I would admire. You know, and if I saw their byline, I'd buy the magazine or I'd buy the newspaper, right. you know, whatever. But even they have their bad days. Right, okay. So um, it's really a hit and miss affair. And I, I know the way it works. I mean, you know, you can catch... Like, I've done a lot of interviews. And I know that you can catch somebody on a bad day. I know you can be having a bad day yourself. I know that your nerve can fail you and you don't ask the question that you have to ask. Or I know that sometimes like, the time pressure is against you and you actually literally have to bash it out without, you know, and that's when you look back over the piece when it's in print and realize that you've repeated yourself three times or you've used, you know. So I, I tend not to judge. It's a bit like it's, you're only as good as your last piece. There's a right. certain element of that. But I don't want to start naming names because then I'll yeah. forget somebody and they'll go, yeah, you yeah, bastard, yeah, yeah. you never, yeah. <laughs> so, so if somebody did, say, a, a great article on somebody in you know, 1978, mm -hmm. that's gone now and that's what they're doing now that's important. 
No, no it's, well, I mean, it's, if, if, I'm, if I'm reading it, it was published in 1978, it's probably in an anthology somewhere, so it's not gone. It's not current, but it's not forgotten. But that journalist can no longer be judged on that. He has to be judged on what, if he's still working. Well, I mean, I look at someone like Joe Esterhaus, for example, you know, who um, went from, from Rolling Stone, who went for, actually went from the, the Cleveland, Cleveland Plain Dealer, dealer yeah, yeah, anyway. which I think is just closed, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, I think it has, to Rolling Stone, to Hollywood movies. Now, he wrote some amazing Rolling Stone pieces. You know, he was a really sharp journalist. Right. And then he wrote Basic Instinct, you know. Oh, right. Now, of course, for Showgirls as well. And Showgirls as well, yes. Who could forget Showgirls? Everybody (laughs) could forget Showgirls, yeah. (laughs) But then again, you know, he got got five or six million dollars for Basic Instinct. And it was just a piece of shit, you know. But he he actually has a couple of really good books. But uh, Hollywood Animal is, is, you know, his autobiography. Right. Um, which proved he could still write, but yeah. I just thought his movies sucked, you know. Okay, yeah. Um, so you're saying there about maybe not having the nerve on a certain day to ask the question you need to ask. Yeah. Have you ever been afraid to ask a question because it might burn a bridge or you might you might be kind of? Yeah, I mean, if you're you'd know things about people, you know. I mean, one of the things I'd always do is. Uh, you build up a lot of contacts over the years, so you, you know, you'd, I would know a wide circle of people, so I might know that so-and-so had an affair with so-and-so or whatever else. But then it's not really... The readers might love to know that. Mm. But I'm going to burn a load of bridges by asking that question. Right. And never be trusted again. Okay. Is that worth it? You know, yeah. to, to embarrass people and to expose something that isn't necessarily anything to do with their, with their work. Yeah. Now, if, if, for example, if somebody is gay, that's grand. But if they're gay and they're, they're a politician and they're signing law... you know, they're signing sort of homophobic laws or say for example they're going to vote against same-sex marriage or whatever else i think that's worthy of exposure that makes right. them a hypocrite do you know what i mean yeah, yeah. but there's a, a difference between somebody being a hypocrite and somebody having a private life right. and somebody being entitled to to their secrets i suppose you know yeah. so no I, I don't there's often been interviews where i'd ask somebody a question you know it's a bit like you're you know, have you ever done coke or whatever it might be? And they go, no, never touch the stuff. And I'm going, you lying bastard, we did it last week. You know? <laughs> but then it's, you know, it's, again, and I'm, that's a joke, I'm being a bit facetious. But uh, um, my role isn't to expose every aspect of everybody and to kick their closet open and pull every fucking skeleton out and go, look, everybody, look. You know, that's not, that's not my role at all. Yeah. My role, as far as I'm concerned, is to write interesting pieces that inform and entertain have you ever had anybody shut down an interview? Yeah, yeah. Um, Jerry Ryan, actually. Because you asked him if he did coke? I did, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Funnily enough, <laughs> as we got on to that. Uh, it, was a, it was in the day before, the days before uh, um, mobile phones, or at least the, day be- the days before I had a mobile phone. Right. And I got a message uh, on my answering machine uh, in my apartment saying, we need you to go out to interview Jerry Ryan in... Uh, in RTE this afternoon. And the impression I got was it was the hot press interview. And the hot press interview is a no-holds-barred, you know, ask-what-you-like type affair. I was slightly surprised that he had agreed to do it, but went, grand. So I went out, and, you know, he's there. And I vaguely knew him, you know, we would see him in Lily's, see him around the place at the time. This is at a point when I was hanging out in those kind of places. And we're doing the interview, and uh, he was becoming increasingly uncomfortable with the way in which the questions were going. Right. I did ask him, yeah, have you ever used Coke? And he would have, because I would know him from similar circles type thing, I think he was going, what the hell is going on here? So he suddenly looked at his watch and said, 
I've just realized I've got to be somewhere else. Can we reschedule this? I'm going, sure, you know, no problem. And uh, then I got home that evening to get a call from Hot Press going like, what the fuck's going on? Why did you ask me? What have you done to upset him? I said, I just did, you know, a Hot Press interview. And it's like, no, you're meant to ask him about the fucking panto that he's in. (laughs) That's the only reason he agreed to do this interview. And he wasn't even in the panto. He was the voice of Captain Rhino in this (laughs) He, he, he pre-recorded a, a, a voiceover over, for, yeah. for the Olympia Panto. And I was supposed to just ask him light, you know, fun, lighthearted questions about the Panto, but nobody had explained that to me. I just thought I was just go out and yeah. do the interview. You know? <laughs> so he shut down an interview on me. Yes, yes. Oh, cool. That's a nice thing to have. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it is. It's a, it's um, a real feather in your cap. Yeah, yeah. it's a feather. Yeah. Is it? Um, oh. I, I think every journalist wants to have at least one or two interviews where they can point to and go, yeah, you know, I either fucked that up or they were just not into it. I mean, like, I, like, like you've had some, like, some people are, all you want from an interview is for someone to talk. That's it, I find. And it shocks me the amount of times when you interview somebody, whether they're high profile or low profile, and it's like getting blood from a stone. You're just like, why did you agree to, to speak to us if you're just going to sit there and have nothing to say? But it happens so often. Yeah, I don't know if it happens that often. I find that if somebody's agreed to do it, that they'll talk unless it's that you know somebody who clearly isn't suited to doing that and have been forced into doing it by a record company and that that can happen yeah. you know yeah. um certainly i have done interviews with uh kind of big now did an interview with a pretty big well you know big big well-known star i got a bit discombobulated there in my <laughs> thing the memories are obviously very harrowing well <laughs> yes no i just did this interview i'll tell you who it was it was emily sandy and um, yeah i knew it was <laughs> Did he? Yeah. Yeah. but she had just done a radio tour of the states where she was doing interviews where would be like hi emily tell me about your record hey that's great yo and blah 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 so she was giving me all these answers that were the kind of answers you would give on a on an fm radio station right i'm going like what the hell is this you know uh, and every answer would be one or two sentences so i ran out of questions within about three minutes you know and this was meant to be a 25 minute interview or something and it really was like getting blood from a stone, you know, at that point. Plus, my mind had gone blank because I thought, okay, I have these 10 points here, so I'll cover these 10 points. And, that, you know, that's my two or three minutes on each one. That's my, my time up and I have a good interview. Yeah. But she fairly blasted through everything, you know, <laughs> like soundbite, soundbite and vump. There was another interview I did with uh, Larry Flint, uh, the, the hustler, uh, pornographer and publisher. And... I, the interview had happened quite quickly. I had flown to LA. I'd actually done a thing with Bell X1 the night before because they happened to be in town. In Dublin or in LA? In LA. Okay. And uh, so, again, I was, I was basically quite hungover and, you know, tired or whatever else. And we did the interview. If you've seen that movie, The People vs. Larry Flint, well, it was actually in, they filmed the movie in his office. All right. So I was in that office and, uh, you know, Flint came in in his gold wheelchair and he's crunching this he had a big cup of ice and he's crunching it and his desk was really big and I was at one side and he was at the other and I couldn't shake his hand over the desk I had to walk around it you know and he's kind of giving me this stare because that's what he does you know and crunching ice and uh, I I asked a question and the answer that he gave me I did not have a clue he may as well you know he could have been speaking Swahili you know it was just what the fuck is this man saying to me? <laughs> and I kind of nodded and went, yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't, okay, I don't know if he's, well, I just don't know what he said. 
So I asked something else, and it was a picture of him and uh, uh, Bill Clinton, of, of course, on his <laughs> desk. I said, oh, Bill Clinton isn't the first president that you ever met, because I knew that he'd met JFK when he worked on an aircraft carrier or whatever. As in when Flint worked on an aircraft carrier before he was a, uh, an infamous pornographer. Right. And he answers again, and I, at this point, I'm breaking into a sweat. <laughs> My mind has gone completely blank. I cannot think of a word to say. And there's this deathly silence. And I'm just going, all I'm thinking is, Christ, how much do they, how much do they pay to fly me over here? <laughs> because <laughs> I'm going to come back and say, I have nothing, you know. And the silence, it was, probably was about 30 seconds, but 30 seconds is an eternity in that kind of yeah, scenario. Yeah, and then he suddenly continued to speak, or he began to speak again. And I don't know, the babel fish in my ear woke up, and suddenly I went, oh, that's what he, you know, I tuned into his accent, and the fact that he'd swallowed the ice probably helped as well, you know. And, uh, and we did the interview, and then the interview went great, and then he, I went out for dinner with him afterwards, and you know, I got much more than I was anticipating. But I remember his assistant said to me afterwards, uh, kind of, Olaf, you are, you, you are the greatest journalist I've ever seen interview Mr. Flint. Um, what do you mean? She goes, well, you need us to be quiet and let him talk. So many journalists interrupt him. I'm going, well, yeah, that's what I was doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the truth was I, was, I was just stuck for something to say. I was, okay. you know, I just went blank. I froze. Um, I mean, that can happen at any time. It can happen no matter who you're talking to. Yeah. But uh, it's not great when you're up against the clock with a, with a big name celebrity whose time, you know, this is the only time you're going to get yeah, with, yeah. you know. You can't and, call back later and say, can I get some follow-up quotes, you know? Yeah. And what was what was that like? I don't know the timeline of when all, like, that the court cases and all that happened, but was he already absolutely world-famous at that point, like? Or, Larry? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, the movie had been out, you know. Oh, so, right, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so what was that? What's, what was he like? Did he seem like he was living in the same world as the rest of us, or was it just, like, totally No, he's, you know, he's worth $500 million. Right. He doesn't live in the same world as the rest of us, <laughs> trust me. Yeah. Uh, the rich are different from you and I. Yeah. Uh, yes, they have more money. You know, it's, was, uh, was he as, uh, as charismatic, the right word, as Ron Jeremy? No, he's a totally different kind of character. Yeah. Um, Ron Jeremy wants fame and wants to be liked. Hugely. Yeah. You know, Larry Flint is a tough fucker who just wants to get rich. Right. But he also, you know, he, he, he wants to take on the government and he wants to expose hypocr you know, hypocrisy and corruption. I, I like that about him. But I wouldn't cross him. You know, he was a he was a tough guy. But did you see? Was there like a niceness there when you had, when you went for dinner after? Was there like does does it turn into friendly chat or anything? Or no, it's it's chat, but it's right. not. I mean, he did me a favor afterwards. He got me Courtney Love's phone number. You know. All right. Um, the only reason he liked me is because I asked him about sexually abusing his daughter. <laughs> you know, yeah, that was one of those questions that it, it had been his daughter had written a book accusing him of sexually molesting her as a child. So again, that's kind of in the corner of the room. I know I've got. Initially, I was told what what they'll often do is say you have twenty minutes or twenty five minutes, and then if it's going well, you get more time. But if it's not going so well, they can shut you down. And say, well, now we, we've given you the time that we said we'd give you. Time's up. End of. So at about twenty minutes past, I said, um, <clears throat> "Well, your daughter wrote this book in which she claimed," and uh, that's a, that's when he kind of came alive and went, you know, "Great, we're going to have a fight," <laughs> you know, and, uh, and we did, and then and then I got a bit sparky, and that's what you want, you know. Yeah. But it could it could just as easily have gone. Guess what, pal? Fuck you! Right. And he wheels himself out of the office, right. or I get wheeled out of the office on a stretcher. You know, it's a, one or the other. 
We need something to make this sparky. Do you know anything on this? Do you know anything on this guy? Uh, uh, it's I, all out there, I'm afraid. <laughs> um, actually, I, I was talking to uh, to John Connolly last night, and he said that he wrote a thing in the Irish Times years ago saying, uh, and I quote, there's nothing wrong with Olaf Tyrants and then a good spell and the army couldn't cure. Yes. <laughs> and I said, I was like, okay, well, if I say this to Olaf tomorrow, is he going to, is he going to lamp me? And he's like, no, 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 he'll see you like, like, like he, uh, he'll enjoy it. He said, he said your dad was very fond of that quote as well. Yeah, um, no, no, I mean, well, John did me a big favor back in, uh, it was 2000, I think, when Story of O came out because um, I had just interviewed him. John was suddenly a very big noise because he had worked as a copy editor in the Irish Times and then suddenly he got a million pound deal and it was pounds back then. Mm which uh, freaked out all the other journalists who thought that guy's just a sub-editor, you know, and we are the real writers. But in fact, he was doing that thing of just not talking about it, writing away. He wrote the first Charlie Parker book, Every Dead Thing, I think Every it was called. Thing, yeah. So uh, John lived near me in Ranelagh at the time, and uh, my book was out. And anybody, you know, anyone who brings a book out in this country will know there's people who are for you and people who are against you, you know. It, and it seemed that the Irish Times were quite against me at, you know, at that point. Certainly, the book wasn't being reviewed, and there was nobody... You know, nobody was doing anything on it. Right. Probably because I worked for the Indo at the, at the time as right. well. So I mentioned that to John. And John said, well, tell you what, they're, they're begging me to write anything for them at the moment because, you know, he was a big literary star. He goes, so I'll ask them, can I interview you? And that's how I wound up being interviewed for the Irish Times magazine. Mm, cool. Uh, you know, whereas I think the literary editor and whoever, whoever else was handling all that stuff, the features editor said, no, not him. But when John said, no, I want to do all of the interview happened. And it wasn't that he gave me an easy ride in the interview either, yeah. but I was grateful for the publicity, you know? Right. And, and look, anybody working in media in this country knows it's a bit like that, you know? Yeah. I mean, obviously a quote like that is, is, is playful, but I mean, yeah. you're kind of saying you're on like your own kind of brushes with authority back in the day. Do you reckon you could do a, a month in the army? Cause I, cause I was in the FCA for about a week. I just wanted the boots. <laughs> you <know? laughs> do you still have them? No, no. The FCA is the... the it was the, the, like the so amateur was army. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Back in the day, I don't know anything about that, but I remember some people in my school were in it, and all mm -hmm. I remember was Free Clothes Association. Yeah, yeah, it was the, it was the, was I said it was the boots I wanted, yeah. you know, <laughs> but uh, no, I didn't stay. I realized it wasn't for me very quickly. Right. And when did you actually start writing? Were you always writing? You yeah, writing I was writing, but no, from when I was a kid. Yeah, I knew I wanted to be a writer very young. You know, I wanted to be a librarian first off, because you know, or else, or else a bookseller. I knew I wanted right. to work with books, and I thought, no, actually, I'd like to write them. Okay. Um wasn't really the game plan to be a journalist. That's just kind of what happened. Um, I do do books, but they tend to be books of collected journalism or journal or non-fiction type things. Yeah. I am, I've am. i done some short fiction. Was it a poetry collection? Well, my first book was a book of poetry. Mm. I just got turned off poetry by other poets, basically. Um, I can understand that. <laughs> yeah, I, I disliked the scene. Yeah. You know, I really disliked the scene. It was small, it was insular. Um, there was no money in it, and not that money should be a reason. But when there's no money people get even more petty about other stuff. Yeah. And I just realized that I disliked most of the other poets that I was, you know. Do you know much about the current poetry scene? Yeah, a little bit, yeah, yeah. It seems to be kind of flourishing again. Well, what's happening now is that there's much more of an emphasis towards spoken word stuff and yeah. performance poetry and yeah. slam poetry, and that's much more interesting and much more amusing than some dusty old fucker, you know, yeah, yeah. when half the poem's in Latin, just, just because he did it in school or did yeah. it in university. <laughs> That's a bit unfair on some, but with any poetry collection, no matter who it's by, whether it's by Seamus Heaney or Leonard Cohen, these will be my favourite poets, you know. Right. Uh, there's usually only two or three that really stand out for me. Right, yeah. I think that's probably... Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, that's yeah. the strike rate. There's 50 poems or 60 poems, and mm. there's three that I like. Yeah, but then for another person, it would be a different three. 
Of course, yeah. yes, that's the thing. But then, you know, the book is 15 euros. So it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, no, I don't want to slag off poetry. And like someone like Kate Tempest is doing really well. And I know we, in yeah. Ireland, you've got people like Steve Murray, you've got Dave Lorden, you know, you've got Elaine Feeney. You know, there are people who are, who are, who are worthy and, and what they're doing is really, really good. Mm. So I'm not going to knock any of them. Mm. Um, it just wasn't for me. I mean, I was 21 when I published my first book. And what really happened is because I got into journalism, I think I became quite cynical about the whole thing right. very quickly and just thought, no, nah, that's not, um, this isn't the world that I want to continue in. But having said that, I might, they might come pouring out of me again at some point and I'll release another collection. Yeah, yeah. But it won't be to be part of that dusty old scene. Do you know what I mean? I'll try and do it. In a, I mean, I've done some videos of poems. I right. put them up on YouTube and that's more interesting to me because okay. it's, you know, mm. it's going out to an audience. It's got a visual accompaniment. Yeah. You know, I've done those with Mick Quinn, the, the photographer, and um, that interests me, you know. My favourite poem, which I'm going to quote to you, I don't normally quote my poems, was published, uh, I remember, and this is, what, this is one of the things that totally put me off poetry. Um, I wrote a poem which was an ode to my ex-girlfriend's pussy, called <laughs> Yours Truly, and Poetry Ireland was doing um, their sex edition. This is in uh, 20-something years ago. I thought, aha, this poem is perfect for <laughs> Poetry Ireland's sex edition. So uh, the poem goes, <clears throat> excuse me, put on my poetry voice. <laughs> the poem goes, uh, truly I'll miss yours, now that it's all yours. It's hot oily tang and peach fragrance, quivering moistness over my eager lips, my thrusting tongue tasting what was to come. That's the entire poem. So months later, I got my stamp address envelope back from Poetry Ireland with kind of, you know, dear Mr. Tyronson, your poem is not suitable for, yeah. Or, you know, we've decided that your poem is not suitable for whatever. And I went, well, fuck you. And um, it was just the mood I was in. You know, I, I um, photocopied the poem. This is pre-internet. This is going back quite a bit. I sent it to the Guardian Weekend because the Guardian Weekend magazine used to publish poetry. And I sent it to the Journal of Erotica in London both of whom came back to me within three weeks. The, you know, I, got the, I got the two letters within, within one week, and it was three weeks later, both offering to pay me. Uh, now, The Guardian never used us because they actually, you know, they put it on a, we want this poem, but we have a, you know, we have, we'll, be, we'll publish it this time next year. You know, we're not. And the Journal of Erotica did publish it and paid me, I think it was £100 sterling and three copies of the, of the book. I thought, well, yeah, <laughs> screw you, Poetry Ireland. You know? yeah, yeah, you should have sent one of the copies of the book to Poetry Ireland. Uh, they'd have a heart attack, I'd say. Whatever <laughs> was that. But that, that didn't impress me. I really got the impression that it's a closed shop. It's like all those, you know, Estona types. Now, some of them are quite worthy, and some of them are worthy, you know, quote, unquote. You know, the, the artists, you know. I mean, I, I look, I don't want to get into a, you know, an Estona bashing session, but I, I wonder, like, where were they during the banking crisis? Where were they during the, you know, the, the, when all the sexual abuse by the Catholic Church was, you know, was being revealed? When all the great crises in our Irish society have come out, where were, you where were they the artists? Voice. Yeah, of course they should. That's yeah. their whole fucking purpose, yeah, you know? Yeah. But they're actually taking money from the state. You know, they're taking 30 grand a year, whatever the stipend is, you know? Um, so I think they're scared to talk out because it's actually just, you know, a means of getting a few quid. Yeah, so they're afraid to ruffle the feathers. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Not all of them, yeah. But you know, I just, I, I don't, I can't recall hearing their voice once. Do you know what I mean? As an organisation, I think that's pathetic.
Um, just to backtrack for a second, if you don't mind, you mentioned Kate Tempest as kind of a, a good new poet. Um, <coughs> were you in the hot press tent when Chuck D was doing his interview? I, Public Enemy? I mean, I know what you're talking about yeah. when she got up. She got on the mic. I don't think it was. Yeah. I, mean, I know her because Marty Mulligan from Mullingar, who runs the word he's stage, yeah, he's, awesome. you know, he's been bringing her to Electric Picnic for years, mm. for at least three years. And it was him who had brought her there that year. And then she got up and Chuck D was talking and she rapped at him and he loved yeah. it. Like basically with the hopper sound, like you know, you eventually throw questions to the audience if you're so inclined. And she got on the mic, and then next thing you know, like we were, it was it was one of the last interviews of the weekend. So I think it was like the Saturday or the Sunday. We were all fairly merry because we'd done our interviews. So myself and a few others were just kind of milling about. And next thing we know, we we're like, "What is going on? Who is this?" And she did it like a, a it must have been on for about four or five minutes. And she just rapped at Chuck D, who loved every second of it. Yeah, and it was a real kind of like Jesus. This is a this is like an actual festival moment um so yeah it was incredible yeah now she's actually been nominated for the mercury prize since she uh, was not last year yeah, last she, year yeah, yeah, yeah she lost out mm. to who won that again i never remember young fathers young fathers it was yeah yeah um but you were in the hot press tent of course when the whole tommy tiernan scandal went yeah, down. yeah 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 the fallout yeah. from that was unbelievable were you your phone was by ringing off the hook What's yeah well i interviewed tommy in 2009 at electric picnic and uh it was fine. The interview was fine. It was very, very funny. I can know Tommy from Galway, so it became more like a, a comedy routine. Right. But at the end of it, Tommy put on the voice of um, of a Nazi, essentially, and or a Nazi sympathizer, and or an anti-Semite or whatever, and made some choice remarks about uh, the Holocaust. Oh yes, I this. which began kind of six million, six million. I would have got twelve. Was it? You know, Get in there, hold your hand, whatever it was. It was it was over the top. Still a very funny interview. And uh, I do remember that uh, that his manager came to me, who's also his wife, uh, uh, afterwards and said, "Could we have a copy? That was, that was great. Could we have a copy of that recording um, for Tommy's website?" And I said, "Yeah." And I organised it. And then Niall Stokes from Hot Press kind of rang me. He said, "Why did you give them the recording? We want it for our website, you know." And I said, "Well, in fairness." We asked him to do this. He's, he's as entitled to it as we are, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then what happened is that it went up on Tommy's website. Now, Tommy just had an audio. We had the, the visual too. But uh, someone at the Sunday Tribune, with the now defunct Sunday Tribune, uh, saw the, the uh, saw or heard the, the, the recording and put it on the front page with comedians startling attack on the Jews. Um, and then if you, if you if you opened the paper, there was like page two and page three. They'd blown the quote up in big, you know, and the quote in black and white taken out of the context of a comedy, mm. you know, a yeah. comedy event. Yeah. It was a, uh, and then pictures of the shoes and the glasses from Auschwitz, you know, the, the, those very iconic black and white pictures. And also a picture that, from a shoot Tommy had done, which is him with a crown of thorns on, you know, doing his Jesus pose. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it didn't look good. <laughs> yeah. And then it was also when it, it sort of went out that... Uh, these were things that Tommy Tiernan said in an interview with Olaf Tyrenson. Uh So the, the words in an interview with made it seem as though these were his views being personally expressed. Now, I would argue, and I did argue, I went on the Marian Finucane show to defend him, saying, well, it, he's always clearly telling a joke. And it was very interesting to see every newspaper commentator, you know, every journalist, every opinion maker or columnist, uh, kind of going, you can clearly see that he's serious. I'm going, like, are you mad? Like, I was there. You know, I was sitting right beside him. And I know exactly what happened. And everybody in the tent laughed. I got called an anti-Semite because I, I could clearly be seen laughing when he makes these comments. Well, I laughed because it was funny. 
It was so outrageous, it was funny, and that's what comedy is about. But yeah, that went all over the world. Tommy's American tour got cancelled because um, somebody threatened to firebomb the, the, the theatre that he was, you know, he was appearing in. Made the front page of the Jerusalem Post, made the New York Times, made uh, front page everywhere over here. Um, even Alan Shatter got in on the act, you know. So it was, yeah. Um, wow, and uh, I assume you've met him since that kind of calmed down a bit. Tommy, yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you talk about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what's his views on it? In, in well, he had no, he had no hard feelings. He knew it wasn't me. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, um, I'd say he. I mean, Tommy's well used to controversy, but yeah. this one was a little bit. Right. You know, yeah. a little bit beyond the beyond. Right. Also, you're dealing with much more powerful people here. Do you know what I mean? If you if you, you know, if you slag off children with Down syndrome or whatever else, you're going to upset their families and you know and the kids themselves and their their parents. But they're not a powerful group. They can just go on Joe Duffy and whinge at you, you know, and maybe rightly so. But that's all you're going to get. You're going to you'll get a bit of an ear bashing. But if you take on on. Um, if you appear to have taken on, you know, the Jews who are very, very powerful in show business hmm. and in media and everything else, then you've got a much bigger, right. you know, much bigger problem on your hands. But Tommy weathered the storm. He just went on several world tours of Ireland. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I mean, obviously, like, that's a hell of a situation and you're very friendly with Tommy Tiernan. I don't believe any part of you will be like, you know, oh, yeah, like, like my name's up here in lights. But do you like kind of... Like combative situations that may come out of an interview, like do you like kind of almost having to rail against people who would come at you for reasons like, like similar to that, or maybe on a smaller scale? It just depends. Sometimes people just give you a pain in the hole, and other times you're kind of well up for a fight. Mm-hmm. Do you know that kind of thing? It's yeah. um, uh, I think the first part of your question was, do I enjoy controversy around things? And yeah, I love it. Yeah. Why wouldn't I? You know, I mean, I love the fact that something somebody may have said to me. I'm not talking about Tommy. I'm talking about other things. Uh, it's been read all over the world and reported all over the world. It's like, well, that was said to me in a dressing room backstage, wherever, or that was said to me in a hotel, wherever, and everybody's talking about it, and it's part of, uh, you know, it's part of the zeitgeist or part of the conversation, and that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It just means yeah, that, that yeah. well, what I'm doing actually is being read, is being paid attention to, yeah. but quite often they're not really talking about me. They're talking about the person that I was talking to. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, I just bask in the reflected. Glory yeah. as opposed to you know. closer than any other person except for that person that you're talking to. Yeah, yeah. It's um. But I mean, I'd be. Uh, like, no, I don't want to do stuff that nobody ever comments on or nobody ever gets upset yeah, by. Yeah. You know, it's like King Amos once said, like, "There's little point writing if you don't if you can't annoy somebody." Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I just like to annoy the right people. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah, want yeah. to annoy the wrong ones. Yeah, it seems to me like there's. I suppose the two type of interviewers are the the people who do the proper interviews, and then there's the people who stand at the side and ask about somebody's shoes or how are you so great tell me how great you are yeah yeah and this is not interviewing is it (laughs) that's fawning well i don't do that yeah no that's your other well actually funnily enough i I came across a a thing in the daily mail that said i've built up a a, a, you know a big reputation for conducting fawning interviews uh, with the likes of and they named three people i had rows with in the interviews you know (laughs) but i I did tweet uh i did tweet about it it's not the daily mail to be completely Fucking awful. Well, yeah. indeed. Yeah. But I, I just said, uh, you'll pay dearly, as in D-E-E or L-Y. So <laughs> I don't think they got the joke, but it was like... But the best thing you can do in, in those circumstances is laugh at them, you know? Yeah. I mean, I've often used... Uh, I've often used quotes that were said against me in, to my advantage. And going back to the Irish Times, when Palace of Wisdom came out, um, there was... In fact, there's a poster for it in this bar downstairs on oh, the right. wall. I'm not sure if this quote is on it. But the Irish Times uh, reviewed the book. 
and they reviewed it like two months after it was out or whatever else. And the opening line of the review, and this was you know, a collection of my interviews that have been published and done all their, you know, in one sense, it's, you know, it's, it's reheated cabbage, as Irvin Welsh would say. It's kind of just, you know, it's, a, uh, it's old work. It's already had its reaction, but this is the stuff collected and bound and whatever else. But the opening line of the review was, uh, is there anything Olaf Tarrantson can't do? And I, I read the opening line and said, hmm, this could be good. <laughs> And the next line was, uh, well, on the basis of this collection of interviews, quite a lot. You, know, <laughs> you certainly can't seem to get through an interview without mentioning drugs. And I'm going, the book is called Palace of Wisdom, as in the road of excess leads to the Palace of Wisdom. If there was a theme to the book, it was drugs. So I wrote a letter to the Irish Times, which you should never do, but I did. I was just that annoyed. You know, and the review was really disparaging. It kicked off in that way and then went downhill by somebody who had never seen their name before or seen it since, which, you know... Somebody who's trying to make a name for themselves. <sighs> it just annoyed me. Right. So and the Roy Keane book was out at that time as well, the, the one that, first one. that... The first one, the one that Eamon Dunphy had done. Yeah. And I said, you know, given the stated title and theme of my book, you know, surely complaining that Palace of Wisdom, that there's too much about drugs in Palace of Wisdom, is something akin to complaining that there's too much about soccer in the Roy Keane book. The Irish Times wouldn't publish the letter. So I took what little revenge I could, because we were doing an advertising campaign and posters and whatnot. And uh, they said, look, just take... And all the other reviews were pretty good. So it's like, take, you know, take the best... As you always do, you take the best quotes from the reviews and put them up. So I just used the Irish Times one. It was like, is there anything Olaf Tarrantson can't do? Mm. The Irish Times. <laughs> <laughs> Small revenge, yeah, but... Uh, you know. Is it, a, is it Wikipedia rundown? Yeah, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna go through your Wikipedia here. I hope there's lots of salacious stuff. I hope there did is. you add stuff beforehand because like that, yeah. that's what you should have done. Well, <laughs> it says last edited two years ago, by, right? By brown haired girl. That's um, Olaf's uh, online. Yeah, that's your <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's only for the sex sites, you know. It's, uh... So let's see. I assume things like your birthday, tenth of February, seventy one. That's me. <laughs> Irish author journalist. So I wanted to ask you about this, like not that it's wrong, but writer at large. That's the hot, the hot press. Yeah. What? What? Can you, what's that? Can you explain that? Uh, well, it's just a title. Uh, you know, I'm their writer at large, meaning that I'm at large. I'm out there. I'm not in the office. Okay. I'm, uh, I'm out. You know, somewhere in the globe, okay. somewhere in the country. Okay. Although on that occasion, in the globe meant I was in the globe bar, just around <laughs> the corner. You know. And they, there's just one of them in hot press. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That, so would, be, you that would be me. Ten years or something longer. Hey, Funny enough, I only noticed that I was a contributing editor quite recently, and then realised, oh, actually, I've been a contributing editor for for a number of years. So <laughs> they they gave me the uh, the the promotion without mentioning it to me. Oh, you know? right, and without uh, an increase in wages. No, there was none of that either. Come to think, <laughs> do you keep all the uh, issues of Hapres? Not anymore. Used no, to? well, I used to, but uh, I've moved house so many times. You know, I, I separated again. Uh, from my missus last year, so everything's still in, in that house, in that attic. Right. And I got to a point where I was dragging such a volume of stuff around with me. And of yeah. course, the archive is all online now, so I want yeah. to refer back to something. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I was talking to somebody about this earlier. I just don't feel the urge to keep things in the same way that I used to. It used to be that if my picture was in the local newspaper, you know, I'd not cut it out, I'd just take out the page, fold yeah. it up, and throw it in the box. It wasn't. I wasn't doing the complete archive of yeah. stuff, but I tended to like to hold on to all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, now I just go, yeah, and yeah. been at the same way I'd been something else, unless it's something you know, really, really good or really worth yeah, keeping. Yeah. I've thought about that kind of thing before, actually. For like, if you think about, you know, mega celebrities, it's like 
at the start. It's got to be the same for everybody. It's exciting. You got to keep the bit in the newspaper in your local paper. Yeah. But if you if you if you become Kanye West, like when do you stop? When yeah. your name is in every paper every day. Well, I wonder when they actually stop doing it. You know. Well, okay, I'm no Kanye West, <laughs> but uh, thankfully, <laughs> um, you can uh, keep at it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but. No, there, there does come a point where it's, it just doesn't mean... And also, there's so much rubbish written about a lot of people yeah. that you wouldn't want to keep it, or else yeah, it, it can just be upsetting, you know. I'm not at the level... I get upset very, very occasionally. I'm usually just chuffed to be mentioned somewhere. Right. Um, but I'm certainly over that thing of, you know, wow, I'm in the paper, or wow. You know, just, well, I've been doing it for 25 years, yeah. so um, it's good that I'm over it. If I wasn't, there'd be a problem. Yeah, you'd be like one of those people that's clinging at everything and trying to get in the paper, trying to make a headline, you know. Yeah, and at the same time, I haven't been out of print since I began. Do you know what I mean? There hasn't really been a period of longer than a month, right. if even. So that's success, really, isn't it? Consistency. Well, it's what I mean. If my younger self could see me now, you know, he'd be going, "Fucking hell!" Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, you know. But if I, could, if I could then talk back to my younger self, like, you don't know how tough it is. You know? <laughs> so nothing's ever really what it seems. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of um, a lot of hard work goes into what I do, a lot of stress, a lot of, and it's not just about the work. I've also, you've got kids, you've got life, you know, all the, all the stuff of life. Um, so and you want the work to be good. You want the work to be good, yeah. And so, I mean, I'm very proud of a lot of the work. Mm. You know, there's not much I would... I would I would regret okay, a lot of stuff I do. Okay, I'm not that interested in, but I still try and do it to the best of my ability. Yeah, you know, but you you've got to do that, and you have to do that to the best of your ability of your ability in order that you get the bigger jobs and the more interesting ones. And also, there even if you're not interested, there's still I think job satisfaction in doing the best you can. Yeah, at each thing. Yeah, even if you don't like it. But there's also that the, the thing of turd polishing, as uh, Peter Buck from OREM calls it. He goes, you know, you can work on something and you can do as much work and work and work. Mm-hmm. You can, but at the end of the day, it's still a turd. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. And you have to recognize those ones. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, like, yeah. That's just not worth, it's not worth rewriting that intro 10 times over because at the end of the day, it's just, you know, it's not worth it. Yeah. 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 Uh, so we know that you've worked in Hot Press and Evening Herald. Uh, you've also, uh, your writing has appeared in Rolling Stone, yes. Mojo, Penthouse. Yep. Okay. What, what were all those? It was just a letter that you wrote, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, to, to Penthouse. Uh, like, no, actually, the Penthouse was the... Uh, existed, but, uh, but... The Penthouse one was the London Wankathon. <laughs> uh, Did your friend Larry Flint know you wrote in Penthouse? Um, well, he's a known Penthouse. Exactly. Penthouse is oh, yeah. Bob Guccioni. Um, <laughs> no, they just bought it from me through a features agency. Um, I wrote a piece for Hot Press about the London Masturbation Marathon, the London Wankathon, which was done by Channel 4, but then everybody involved got fired because it was, it was a step too far. Um, so that was the, uh, the, that was the penthouse one. Rolling Stone have published a load of things. Um, again, through the uh, two U2 interviews, I think, and uh, Alan Long, the drug smuggler, okay. Paul McGuinness thing, that kind of thing, yeah. And uh, Mojo? Mojo, I used to do, I did for, you the back page, the, the, what the hell was it called? Bef- there, then and now, was that, there's a back page feature in Mojo, which is somebody, to, people, bands who split. Okay. Oh, so right. here's, wonder... here was me at the height of the thing and here's me now. It was okay. something like that. Or how I joined a band and how I left a band. Right. That was it. I did a few of those. Okay. But then I was trying to get into Mojo and said, I'd rather do bigger 
bigger features, they said, you kind of have to go around the houses in this publication. So you move from doing the back pages to doing this section and then you do an album review and boom, boom. And so I, I did a few pieces for Mojo and then went, well, no, I'm actually doing cover stories for Hot Press. So yeah, uh, yeah. I think I'll stick at that, you know? Cool. Not that if they're listening, I wouldn't mind a call again. <laughs> we'll tweet at Mojo uh, when the podcast yes. is up. Let's see, what else in here was interesting? Uh, you did film reviews for your local... Yeah, for the Goal Advertiser. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I hope there's something now that's, that's not real on this. Um, uh, free Sheet, The Word, do you remember that? Yes, I was the editor of The Word for a Ed- couple of years. Your local Free Sheet, that's not a thing I've ever, a word I've ever heard. Free Sheet? Yeah. yeah, Free Sheet is like a free newspaper. Yeah, but the equipment of like... Is it just totally Dublin or, or whatever? All mm. oh, right, that's a free sheet. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Anything, any free newspaper is a free yeah, sheet. Yeah. Show my age now. Too young. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the so the the band you uh, managed was the Far Canals. Far Canals. Yeah. Uh, there was an Australian guy in the band, so you had to say it in, a, in an Australian accent. It was the Far Canals. <laughs> <laughs> and the album was called If You C K. So. Yeah, it says that here on Hot yes. Records. Um, I actually kind of like what it says here. The band released one album, If You See K, before fading into obscurity. <laughs> yeah, well, that's pretty much what we did, you know. Yeah. Although uh, our, our crowning moment, I think, was uh, um, we played in, in the UK with Ash. Um, Ash were just starting out at the same time. It was like 1991, 92 or whatever. Was their first album big, Ash? Ash, it was, yeah. 19, but that first album wasn't out. Okay, all right. Was so, their first album 1977? No, their album was called 1977. That's what I meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, right, okay. So this but it came out in 1994 or 1993. Right. Yeah. Certainly it wasn't out then, you know, but yeah. we were kind of, you know, shared the stage with them and then Ash went on and sold a million records and right. we faded into obscurity, you know. So it's like... Uh... Well, they, I was their manager, not I wasn't a band member, right. you know. And what was that? Did you enjoy that experience? Did you... uh, yeah, but I had no money and I was in the west of Ireland and it was it was very difficult, you know. It was very difficult to get people to uh, to you know. Was, luckily, we got signed to Hunter S Records, who had done um, it was something happens manager, and uh, who owned that label, uh, Conor O'Mahony and Dave Bell. Dave Bell, who does the merchandising for all the you know for all the big tours. So the Mary Janes were on the same label and uh, um, a couple of other acts. So did I enjoy it? I did. Uh, no disco voted us the video of the year. I do recall that. Um, okay. Back in the day, video on YouTube, no? Uh, no, it isn't. And I was actually talking to to somebody about trying to track it down. Although I just realised that RT will have a copy in their archives. We should try and get it out sometime. Well, actually, well, well, funnily enough, what happened was um, there was a we were making a video. This is a, this is a, a time before you just turned your phone on and you could film yeah. to very high quality. You had to have cameras and film yeah. and stuff. Um, and there was a big stupid script presented by somebody that had nothing to do with the song. I convinced the lead singer and his wife just to, at Silver Strand and Galway, um, just strip off and walk into the sea. And that's what the entire video was, right. uh, in black and white. So, needless to say, it was no discos video. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And then you lived, uh, soon after this, according to this, uh, you lived on an island, a Thai island, Co... Copenhagen. Yeah. Yeah, no, I lived there, but it wasn't soon after that. It was. No, uh, maybe I'm, it's it's in the same uh, paragraph. All right. Yeah. <laughs> what was that like? I don't live my life in paragraphs. <laughs> yeah. Well, according to Wikipedia. You okay, do, so fair enough. That's what I'm going with. Uh, <laughs> that was in 2005, 2006. Uh, just had enough of Ireland for lots of reasons. Um, 
had some cash because my book had come out in 2004 and I just went I went out of here so um, I went to Thailand uh, with enough money to last me three months right but I didn't want to go traveling I wanted to sit down and write a book and uh, didn't write the book but I what I did do uh, was I began a column Temporarily Thyrish. Temporarily Thyrish, yeah. Well, I had to because Hot Press had bought at some charity auction, they bought like a hundred grand's worth of billboard advertising for, 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 for I don't know, for a charity auction right. price. Right. And they decided to use me as one of the writers that they were going to use on these billboards. I did a photo shoot for it and I gave them a quote. And I remember the quote was, um, the, the Celtic Tiger has been a great leveler in Irish society. Now even the people with jobs have no money. So that was the quote I gave them to put up on this billboard. And then nothing happened. Not that I was sort of anxiously waiting, like, has the billboard gone up? No. Um, and I, so the months later, I, I just said, okay, I'm out of here. I didn't even say it to them. I just went, I'm, I'm leaving. You know, I'm gone. And I remember I got the bus. I got the train to Houston. I was in Galway. I got the train to Houston Station. Then I got the bus, the, or the air bus from Houston Station to the airport. And as I was on the bus, I looked out the window. And what did I see? But the billboard with a big picture of me on it and the uh, the the quote, and underneath that, read all off every fortnight in hot press, and thought, oh, they're not going to like this because I was leaving the country, I was leaving the <laughs> continent, and there's not a whole lot you can write about when you're living on a remote Thai beach, right? Or so I thought, because uh, they rang, said you're going to have to come back. I said I'm not coming back. I'm just fried with Ireland, you know. So I had to do, I had to give them something, in fairness. So I came up with the idea of, yeah, well, I'm temporarily Thyrish. You know, I'm a, an Irish guy in Thailand for a little while. And uh, and the column did pretty well. You know, it was pretty popular. Yeah. Um, or popular enough, anyway, that they, they were able to keep doing it. So when I ran out of the money I originally had, and, and the, the three months' time was up, I realized, hey, I can keep on writing this column, and I'm earning enough from that yeah. to live over here. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, people say, yeah, well, you, know, you can live like a king, you know, on that money. I, I live more like the artist formerly known as Prince. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so I, that's true. I, I spent a year on, on a Thai island. Would you do something like that again? Did you? No, not in a rush. Um, I mean, I came back to Ireland and um, uh, my, uh, I hooked up with my ex-girlfriend, the woman who'd driven me to the Thai island. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, then we had children together. All right. So, uh, and that, that kind of preoccupied me for quite some time. I will for the rest of my life, I guess. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. but young children in particular, you know. Yeah, yeah. What age are your kids? Uh, six and eight. Okay. So still young. You yeah, know. yeah, yeah. Is it, is it uh, fun? Sometimes it is, yeah, yeah. I had them uh, just for the last couple of nights. And um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're hilarious. But my daughter's only six. She's very dramatic. I already know that when she's a teenager, I'm fucked. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah. She uh, she already has me twisted around her little finger, and it'll just get worse. Yeah. yeah. Good luck with that. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Maybe so I'll go back to live in Thailand again. <laughs> it's like, no, no. Uh, so your first book was the poetry was called uh, "The Consequences of Slaughtering Butterflies." Yes. Um, published by Salmon Poetry. Yeah. Friend of mine is actually going to be published Salmon Poetry. All right. Alvi Carragher, she's a poet. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, Salmon are a great old company. They've been going for years. Yeah. Yeah. Michael D's book came out the same year as mine, I think, and he actually he launched my book All right. in Bewley's of Galway, as it was then, in 1992. What do you think of, do you like his poetry? Um, I like some of it, yeah, yeah. I like Michael D in particular. I mean, yeah. he used to work for Hot Press. It was kind of before my time, you know, 
but he I knew him. Yeah, yeah, no, no, for that. eleven years, yeah. Right. But uh, no, we'd often get the train from uh, from Galway to Dublin together, right? Or, or and, and back. You know, not when he was president, obviously. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I've known him for twenty something years. Right. You know, I, I consider him a friend. So. Were you delighted then when? He oh yeah, of course yeah. I was. Yeah. And have you met him since? Yeah, yeah. I was talking since to him just the other week. Is he like drunk with power? No, <laughs> not at all. I think I think he. Um, um, it's great to see somebody fulfil their destiny. I think he wanted to be president of Ireland. Right. And you know, and the Labour Party wouldn't let him run the last time. You know? Yeah, and uh, so he finally got there, okay. and he's doing a great job. Yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah. you know, look, could you imagine if that other Muppet Gallagher got in? You know? <laughs> we we have a Dragon's Den president. Yeah. I mean, you'd have to assassinate him. I mean, you'd have no choice. You know? I actually actually didn't vote for Higgins. I actually voted for Norris. Get out! <laughs> but I'm happy with Higgins. Yeah, I think he's done a good job. Yeah, um, leave the country. No, no, <laughs> I won't. The democracy. Norris, uh, Norris is a good choice, though. Let's be, yeah, let's be fair. I, I, I was happy with either one, but you have to choose, don't you? I gave, and I gave Higgins one of the votes. You know, you can pick whatever. Yeah. Probably shouldn't be talking about this now because no. this happened a few years ago. Yes, yes, yes. Move <laughs> on. Um, okay, what happened next? Uh, your your book you described as an accidental autobiography. Yeah. Claims. Um, so the story of O. Yeah. Olaf. Yeah, I haven't read it. Yeah, okay. Honest. Well, no. What happened was, I was asked to do a collection of my hot press stuff, and uh, I said, you know, I, I'd written all these various pieces, including running in the election, you know, the story of that, mm. and um, uh, and lots of other things besides. I was doing things like, you know, the wankathon, <laughs> spanking clubs, whatever it was, but that hadn't even happened at that point. But anyway, I began writing uh, uh, an introduction to this book. And the idea was I would tell the story of my life up until the first piece. Right. Until the first piece of journalism. And then the journalism would tell my story thereafter. Okay. And I got it to a certain point and about 20,000 words or whatever. And then Niall Stokes said to me, I think you should keep going and keep this as a straight memoir. So I did. So I hadn't planned on it. I hadn't set out to write a memoir or an autobiography, but that's what I did. And uh, I was 29 when that was published. And you can imagine the reaction a lot of people had. It's like, you know, who the fuck do you think you are? And I said, well, you read the book, you'll find out. <laughs> you know, uh, so, but I'm very proud of that. I'm very proud of everything I've done, all the books I've done. Right. You know, um, not inordinately proud. Yeah. And I see the flaws in everything as well. Yeah. But um, I'm, very, I'm glad I did them. Each one bettered my life in some way. Yeah. Um, each one will be there after I'm gone. Probably sell a lot better after I'm gone as well. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, your, your books are like your kids, you know. It's... Um, that was me working to the best of my ability at, at each time. So, yeah, that's uh, strangely enough of all people to quote. Well, I won't have a direct quote now, but uh, Tom Cruise. I listened to an interview with him, and he was saying how somebody asked him basically, "Do you regret any of your movies?" And he's like, "There's no point. Like you, everything that you've done, you did at a time, and that's fine. Leave it where it is, and move yeah. on to the next thing." Yeah. Um, which is basically what you're saying. And yeah, I'm pretty sure Tom true. Tom Cruise doesn't spend the night. Looking back at risky business or whatever else, yeah, I think he's happy enough with that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, you went to the Ukraine to report on the phenomenon of internet bridal agencies. Yeah, yeah, that was the scariest week of my life, actually. Really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was in early two thousand and two. No, it wasn't. It was in late two thousand and one. It was just after nine eleven. Uh, in fact, yeah, October two thousand and one. This says. Yes, that'd be right. <laughs> and the week that I uh, that uh, the, the week that I flew over, I flew to Kiev. Um, the uh, Ukrainian jet was blown out of the sky, a passenger jet, which turned out to be the Ukrainian army. But, you know, it wasn't a very... The whole world was shaking at the time. 
And what I was doing was doing a story on internet bridal agencies. So basically I went to Ukraine. I went to a town called Kherson, which is down on the south, to an agency called Romeo and Juliet, and uh, went on dates all week with the girls who were looking to get out of the country by marrying a, a foreign guy. Uh, I looked like a prat in that town because I was wearing like black suit shades, snakeskin boots, you know, whereas everybody else in the town was... I, I, there, I was either mafia or I was a guy who was over riding their women. <laughs> you know, okay. was, as it happened, I was the latter. <laughs> so I wasn't that popular with the menfolk of the town. And um, uh, it was a scary week, you know, it really was. I mean, I, I thought it would be quite funny to write about when, when I was actually there. And all the Ukrainian guys, I mean, Ukrainian, you know, Ukraine was under the mafia kosh at the time. Kuchma was in power. Journalists were getting murdered. Uh, unemployment was rife. You know, you, you, go, you go through a place like Kherson, I mean, the place has fallen to bits. It has that smell of poverty, you know, and then you'd see a Ferrari driving down the road. I mean, that's the mafia. You don't mess with them. Um, but basically, I walked, you know, to the average Ukrainian guy. This is at a time when their salary, you know, the average salary was $20 a month. And there's me poncing around, you know, around their town with all their young, and not so young girls, because I mixed it up, you know. And, but it was really interesting meeting the women as well. Mm. Some of them were just looking, you know, some were looking just to improve their English. Mm. Some were looking for the diversion of going out for dinner with a, with a foreign guy. You know, they weren't actually looking to leave the country. And some were genuinely looking for any ticket out of there, you know. But the other, the other funny thing was that when I arrived, I'd been in, in internet contact with the agency. But... That was it. Was only by email, and then I said, "Look, I'm going to come over because they do all this stuff. If you can look at pictures on their website, and then you can write letters to the girl, and you pay a translation fee for the letter, and you know, blah blah blah." And uh, but when I got over there and I walked in the door, because their driver picked me up at Kiev and drove me down to to Kherson. Um, I walked in the door and they said, "Like, okay, who are you? Because you're not looking for a wife." And I'm going. No, I am. <laughs> and uh, I, I would have been uh, 30 at the time, I suppose. And they are going, no, like you, you know, you're 20 years younger than our average client profile, so you're up to something. So I explained to them, okay, look, I'm, I'm, I'm a journalist, but I am, you know, I'm single at the time, so maybe I am looking for a wife, you know. But I think their concern was, uh, I don't know, the main concern was getting paid. Once I they, once they paid them, they were kind of fine. Right. But it might have been the fact that I was a journalist that stopped anything more nasty happening to me. Right. I certainly spent that week yeah. being quite ill at ease. The apartment I was in, I rented an apartment from them. Uh, I declined to hire a bodyguard, figuring that three's a crowd on a date. <laughs> Although I, I did have to hire a translator for some of them as well, so it already was three. And... Uh, the apartment I was in, like, you know, this crumbling old building, but, you know, there was three doors to get into it. And it's like, if anybody knocks on this door at night, don't answer. I'm like, why not? Because, well, the neighbours might have tipped off the mafia that there's a rich, you know, a rich uh, tourist or, or foreigner in town. I said, well, do I call the police? Uh, excusing the fact that I didn't speak any Ukrainian and, you know, whatever. And the phone didn't work in the apartment. Uh it, there was one that just didn't work, you know. Um, and she goes, no, don't call the police. They'll definitely rob you. <laughs> Which isn't very reassuring, no. you know. Um, I still declined the bodyguard. So, uh, you know, but I did kind of go, well, I really am a stranger in a strange land here. And uh, anything could happen. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's the kind of place you could go missing. Like the last journalist to challenge the president had been discovered, you know, with his head cut off. 
which is ultimately what brought the president down because there was a recording found of him ordering that to happen. Right. Well, it's a country where no one was going to give a fuck about me if something, you know. Whoa, that's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, it made for a funny story, but it wasn't, it genuinely wasn't funny being there. So that's called uh, Sex Lines? Report. Yeah, well, the piece was called To Ukraine for Love. That was in a book called Sex Lines, you know. Okay. Uh, well, <laughs> all of which can be ordered on hotpress.com. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It, it, yeah, it can be ordered from www.hotpress.com. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yes. I want to read that now. It sounds awful. <laughs> in, a good uh, way, in a good way. In a good way, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, this this uh, politics stuff is interesting. Tyranson is a spoke, an outspoken campaigner for the legalization of drugs and regularly writes on the subject and engages in radio, television and university debates. Mm. Um, so legalization of drugs, is that all drugs? Or yeah, drugs? yeah. All drugs? Well, it just strikes me that it's about the only sensible approach left. Right. Um, and do you think, like, start with cannabis and, or start just legalizing? Well, I mean, there's people... I haven't been that vocal on this in a few years. Right. Uh, largely because I kept on having the same conversations and the same arguments. Um. But yes, I do think that the current situation is totally out of control. The the, the there's obviously a massive demand for drugs, and you're not you know, they're not whatever they're doing isn't isn't tempering that isn't stopping that, and the entire market has been handed over to to you know the evil empire basically you know it's criminal gangs it's 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 mafia it's paramilitaries it's terrorists, yeah. so at least to regulate it, you have to legalize and regulate. You get some control over the situation. Right now, there is no control, and it's not about the morality or otherwise of taking drugs. It's just about common sense. And you know, you hear, I, I speak to lots of politicians about this because I'll be interviewing them and always ask them their attitude. Going, oh, you can't be legalizing. You know, you can't. You couldn't possibly do that. So, yeah, but what you're doing at the moment not only isn't working; it's making the problem much worse. Yeah. You know, I mean, the heroin problem in Dublin in the, in the 1970s. As much as people talk about it, it was only a few hundred people, you know. Now it's thousands. You know, they, they reckon there's sixteen thousand heroin addicts in Dublin alone. Yeah. I mean, you see it. Like. Yeah, of course. You know, you step into Dublin and you're, you know, you spare change for a hostel or whatever else it might be. So, how can you? It's like people flinging petrol onto a fire, and the blaze is getting bigger and bigger. And you're going, like, you stop putting the petrol on the fire. Like, try a different approach. Yeah. But, you know, it, this is appeasing their voters. Yeah. Do you know that kind of thing? Yeah. But that's changing too because there's the, the people are beginning to cop on. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like when I did the cannabis campaign, I mean, everybody thought that cannabis was like, you know, up there with heroin. It's like, no, no, it wasn't. No. You yeah. know, cannabis is safer than, you know, yeah. certainly safer than alcohol. Yeah. You can see it in the, in the States. It was, it was a big war, war on drugs, which obviously... Yeah. Well, that's where it started, you know. worse. And, yeah. and now... Loads of states are legalizing cannabis. Yeah, no, it's it's going to be like the domino effect. They're all yeah. going to fall pretty yeah. soon, and then and it'll, come over here as well. it'll be legal in you know five or ten years. Never to go. Yeah. What the fuck was that about? Yeah, a bit uh, late for all those people who who are locked up currently, yeah. or have been locked up, or now can't travel to Australia or America because yeah. they've got a drug conviction, conviction. You know? Do you know of any countries? Are there any countries that have done it? Legalized all of them? The Swedish? Uh, well, Portugal. No, Sweden. Sweden's yeah. quite repressive. Portugal, Portugal, has, Portugal has a harm reduction model. If you're caught with a with a bag of smack or a bag of coke, you're sent to a social worker. Right. You know, um, so you're, every, you're, you're allowed to have a certain amount in your possession for personal use, and the, the all the all the problems associated with drug use have decreased. Right. And that's you know inarguable. Right. So the Portuguese model is the way to go. So they're leading the way, as far as you can see. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, they're just you know, leading the way with common sense. Yeah. Yeah. But. Uh, 
the, the biggest thing with everything to do with, 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 with drugs is actually politics. And what we have, the problem we have with politics is that the people who are elected in this country, their main skill in life is getting elected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not running a country. No. They're different things. Do you know what I mean? Their great talent is, is remembering everybody's name, shaking hands, knowing the right things to show up to, fixing kissing the, the right asses, fixing yeah. the potholes, all the rest of it. And then they're in p positions of authority and power that their little minds just can't comprehend to a large extent. Yeah. I spend a lot of time in Leinster House yeah. doing, doing interviews. And I look around and go, like, how the fuck do these people get in here? Mm. Uh, quite honestly, you know, it's uh, the mind boggles. It is baffling to a lot of, I think, voters, you know. And, and I, I think you, you, when you vote, it, it's, you know, the best of a bad lot. As, uh, yeah, well, it's because anybody with any brains doesn't want to get into politics, yeah. you know. So, However, you did try. Well, you see, I knew, I knew that I wasn't going to get elected, yeah. which is a very difficult position to be in when you're running, you know, because every, every radio station to go into or you know, whatever interview situation. Yeah. So do you honestly think you have a chance? You can't really say, no, I know I don't yeah. have a chance, because yeah. then you're writing yourself off. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But you kind of had to argue it. And I go, all I really wanted to do, to do was to get my point of view heard and get it out there. And I did. Yeah. And I would say that I certainly started a lot of conversations. Mm. And myself and the other people involved, and um, uh, and that was an important thing to do. Yeah. You know, we might have changed lots of people's minds about it. Yeah, you know, certainly lots of people who had been educated to believe that you know cannabis is just as bad as as you know as heroin or cocaine or whatever else uh, would realise that no, no, it isn't. And actually, the reasons why it's illegal are just you know all to do with big business and nothing at all to do with uh, with the drug itself or the plant itself. You know. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, it says you just got 348 first preferences. Yeah. But what if, in, in some alternative universe, if you had been elected? I would have made a great big pain on the ass of myself. In the, you uh, would have I'd gone through it if you would have. Oh, yeah, of course yeah. I would have. Yeah, yeah. I would have been the Mick Wallace of, uh, <laughs> yeah, with better shirts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, slightly better hair. Yes, yeah, slightly better hair. Um, okay, well, that's, that was all really interesting. Uh, I think that Wikipedia so, really let me down. It's all true. All my Wikipedia is true, yes. Uh, We'll, we'll get to work on that, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Have to, if anybody's listening, just maybe just rewrite some of this. And <laughs> I mean, I guess, finally, if, if, uh, if I can sign off with the question that you always sign off with in the Hopper's interview as well. I'm sure you saw this coming, but uh, do you have a, does Olaf Tyrantson have a motto in life? Um, be kind. That's it? Generally, that's it, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, use your talent, whatever, whatever talent it is, use it to the best of your ability, and be kind. You know, don't be a knob. That would be the... Uh, <laughs> That would be it, I think. Words word live by, I think. Yeah, yeah, perfectly good advice. Um, so, great. Thanks, uh, everybody. We're all done here. Yeah? Okay, everybody have a problem? Yeah. If you guys are happy, I'm yeah, happy. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Thanks for coming on. I hope you enjoyed it. Cool. And, um, yeah, we'll talk to you again. Cheers. Thanks. Thanks, guys. That was uh, episode five of the Headstuff podcast. I forgot to record an outro to this episode so i'm currently sitting in my wardrobe in my bedroom talking into a tablet and i feel quite foolish and um, dave somehow we forgot to do an outro <laughs> in the mess that the uh, the parts without all of, of this episode have turned out to be so anyway um i'm just going to say thank you to olaf for coming on the show I think he was uh, a really good guest. Um, thanks very much to Dave and Rality for being the co-host on the episode. Thanks, as always, to um, Mikey and Matt for everything they do, to Video Blue for the awesome team tune, 
uh, to Adam, the producer, and thanks to everybody who listens. You're all lovely people. If you want to subscribe and rate and all that on iTunes, please do that and SoundCloud and Stitcher. So if you want to get in touch, you can do that at hello at headstuff.org. We should be back with another episode next week. So thanks again and uh, talk to you then.